welcome to episode 50 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on September 24th, 2017. My name is Brad Galloway, and I am the editor at GameCritics.com, and I'm also 50% of this here show with me. As always, is Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. Corey, how you living, sir? Hello, Brad. Good evening. Um, we're off to, I know, listeners, this has no impact on you, but we're off to a little bit of a late start tonight. We're actually almost recording on September 25th, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I'm a little bit tired, uh, so hopefully I'm not dragging too much during the show, but uh, I, I feel all right. Uh, how are things, Brad? Good, good. I was going to say we're actually going to start our 50th episode off as the tired episode because I am also pretty tired. I had a pretty <laughs> long day as well. And that's pretty much going to encompass all the celebrations we have. Uh, I know we had talked about having some kind of to-do and uh, in the traditional So Video Games manner, we didn't do shit. So we're not. <laughs> this, is, this is your special 50th episode, folks. Enjoy it for what it is. And then we will resume normal programming with 51. <laughs> and spoilers, this will be a normal show as well. So let's just all pretend that it's great and move forward. Uh, so as regular listeners will know, we usually get the ball rolling with our traditional few minutes of unnecessary banter that's not necessarily game related. And... Just a reminder, for folks who don't want to hear about random hijinks, rants, and recommendations, we do, or actually, i got to change that in the script, because actually, you're the only one that does this. Corey, Corey will put timestamps in the script. <laughs> I will not put any timestamps in fucking anything. Thank you very much for doing that, Corey. I'm going to change that in the script. Corey puts timestamps in the notes, so people who don't want to hear about this can jump ahead and skip it. But why would you want to? Corey, you are up first this week, sir. I sense that there are things in your banter bin. Open that lid and tell us what's inside. Okay, I you are correct. I have a lot of things to talk about for banter tonight. Um, I Okay, okay, where do you even start? All right, so I know um, I've been in New Orleans for about six months now, and I know uh, distinctively, I remember whenever I moved here, we were kind of talking about the transition on the show a while back. Um we had sort of made a pact that I have been failing miserably at um, that I would let you know about any new food, like food culture, food stuff going on here. And I think I have a few updates about food. Are you ready, Brad? I am ready. All right. So there is, um, I don't know if this is like an official title or not, but right now we're kind of in the middle of what I think is called like festival quote unquote season in the New Orleans area. And so they're like in the downtown area, there are a lot of like little, uh, basically kind of like a little festival happening every weekend. And New Orleans is a very, I mean, I'm sure people know this already, but it's a very like event driven town, you know, Mardi Gras. And there's like parades for everything here. Uh, I think I might've mentioned this before on the show, but uh, over Easter weekend, I went to a gay Easter parade in the French Quarter. Like that's a thing here. So, but that's kind of irrelevant. So I've been going to... A few different fests lately and being uh you know the food city that this is um a lot of them are food related so last weekend um i don't i might have mentioned this on the show but uh did i talk about going to burger fest uh on any show brad i don't recall that no oh man i don't know how i forgot that um 
I went to maybe because it was just like an okay festival. I didn't maybe I had better banter at the time, but I went to last last weekend I think it was I went to Burger Fest, which is basically exactly what it sounds like. It's like over um there's a park uh, downtown, kind of on the eastern side of downtown, if you will, uh, called Crescent Park and. They uh, kind of have like a bunch of basically like burger vendors like kind of lined up around this area. There's like live music and bands and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, there's like drink vendors and snowball vendors and everything, too. And uh, I had a uh, I actually ended up having a being, you know, like the freaking like Midwestern white boy that I am. I had a a vegan burger Um, because if the option presents itself, I'm not vegetarian, but sometimes um, I've gone through stages of vegetarianism in my life. Uh, I, I, if the option is there, I tend to take it because with me and burgers, unless a burger is like made out of some like, you know, like exotic meat that I've never had before, like alligator, like alligator is really big here. Um, uh, I kind of tend to think that most burgers kind of taste the same if it's like a beef burger. So uh, veggie burgers often give like, something slightly different like they kind of are all like uh, made a little bit different with different stuff in them they all taste a little bit different and it turns out that the burger on tap at burger fest that was vegetarian was a fried mushroom burger and it was really delicious um and this weekend i went to two different fests as well yesterday i went to beer fest which i'm sure people listening to the show um Y'all know that I like beer a lot. Um, I don't know if I talk about beer a lot on the show, but I love beer. Um, Very difficult to find the kind of beer that I like in New Orleans because I like thick, heavy, dark beer, and that's not always easy to come by here. So Beer Fest is a really cool thing to be able to sample not only uh, beer that are like bigger breweries, like Abita is one of the big breweries here, and you can get Abita, I think, all over the United States, and that uh, that brewery is only about an hour north of where I live, but also a bunch of home brewers were there, so it was really cool to be able to sample a bunch of beers, basically be able to walk around a festival in the heat and day drink all day. Um, that was really fun. I can't remember the name of the brewery, but there was a home brewer that had this like Mexican chocolate stout yesterday, and it was the best beer I had all day. Um, very good. I had some other good beer, but that was like hands down the best one I had. And last but not least, on the uh, festival front today, I went to uh, what is called a Fried Chicken Fest here. And as you can imagine, it is a festival that is entirely donated to f- different kinds of fried chicken. It's very similar to Burger Fest. Uh, it's just a bunch of vendors and like food trucks kind of set up around uh, one of the parks downtown in the French Quarter. And they all have different variations of uh, fried chicken or fried chicken sandwiches or chicken and waffles and stuff like that. And we went today, Patrick and I went today, and he got a chicken and waffles, um, like little kind of. I got, I, I'm going to say plate, but it's not a plate. It's like a little thing you hold in your hand. Um, and I got a chicken sandwich from a food truck. And he also got um, fried mac and cheese balls. They looked like kind of like hush puppies, but underneath the surface, it was like a ball of mac and cheese, kind of almost deep fried that had like a kind of like a hush puppy-ish like crust around the edge. Sure, and sure, sure. That sounds good. Yeah, they were really good. The only problem was it was like 90 degrees outside and like humid as hell and eating a really dense, rich ball of mac and cheese (laughs) is not necessarily the best option uh, for, um, 
you know, for that kind of weather environment because we were like outside walking around this festival. But I recommend all of that. And it was very good. Um, so uh, I, I don't know, Brad, do you have any any uh, input on any of the food updates I've given so far? Interesting. All those are interesting. I mean, it seems like you guys have a lot of fests. I mean, I have a couple questions. But first, when you say fest, I mean, fest can be like a lot of things. Like in my head, I'm envisioning something like like a little street fair or something like is it are they pretty small? I mean, is it like the length of a block? Is it like how big are these things that we're talking about here? Um, whatever. A street fair is definitely like the right idea here. Um, the burger fest was probably about maybe like 20 vendors, roughly. Uh, maybe the same fried chicken fest was a little bit more is maybe like 50 different vendors. And there were a handful of non food vendors too. You know, there are like local like arts and craftsy places that just have little booths set up and everything. And beer fest was pretty big. That was probably the biggest one. Um, I can't remember how many breweries were there, but there were maybe a, like, uh, maybe like 30 to 50 and they all had anywhere from one to like seven beers on tap to try and there were uh, some food vendors and stuff so um very similar whenever i was out the last time i was out in seattle brad i went with steve good friend steve Haskey, um to seafood fest in seattle and all the fests here are very similar so far to kind of like the seafood fest that i went to in seattle if that gives you an idea okay so like vendors setting up in a street maybe they close off a street at one end set up a bunch of booths people kind of walk around just like a bunch of like, uh, I don't know, stands or trucks maybe or something like that kind of gathered together then? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, and in, and so far here, there haven't been any that are like on streets that are closed off because you're totally right. The one in Seattle was like a few blocks that was closed off. But here, um, they're just like in different kind of city park areas. So it's just like in the park and like the trucks and the vendors are kind of like around the perimeter of the park. Um, at least that's how it's been so far. Gotcha. All right. So about the food. Um so most of the stuff you talked about sounded really good. Um, I would have vomited at the mushroom burger because I can't stand mushrooms. They're like disgusting. They're foul. Aww. I do not like mushrooms at all. Um, but I know sad. a lot of people like them, which is which is fine. Doesn't bother me. But man, I just, oh God, this nasty, <laughs> nasty. And in fact, that was one of the things that me and my wife first bonded on was I think one of the first times we went out to uh, on a date uh some you know we're at a restaurant and of course somehow it comes up like oh you know do you like mushrooms and uh you always have that tentative like you know what do you say like you know what if this person likes mushrooms i don't want to be like i don't like them <laughs> but then i don't want to pretend like i like them if i don't like them you know like you're in that little like date zone you know and uh i'm a generally super honest guy almost almost at all times and i'm like oh god i fucking hate mushrooms and she's like me too and i'm like yay <laughs> honesty is the best policy um, so all that sounded good, and what was the other thing? Oh, you know, okay, so you said chicken and waffles. I have to, I'm going to be really honest, and in fact, maybe this would even be appropriate for one of our segments later on, but I'm going to just, I'm going to talk about it now. Um, I've actually never had chicken and waffles. I've had chicken, I've had waffles, but I've never had chicken and waffles, and I have to be honest, those just don't sound good together to me. Have you had chicken and waffles? And if so, what is your opinion of chicken and waffles? I have had chicken and waffles. The first time I had, I didn't have chicken and waffles until I moved to Omaha. Um, I don't know where chicken and waffles originated. I reckon it was probably somewhere in the South. Um, it, it could only have come from the South. That's, I mean, I don't know either, but that's the only place it could have come from. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's got to be it. But um, I remember uh, whenever we, whenever we moved to Omaha, I didn't even know what chicken and waffles was, and. 
there were several places in Omaha that had like, you know, chicken and waffles for brunch or, you know, variations on chicken and waffles. Um, I've had chicken and waffles maybe like five or six times in my life. And I have to say, I really, I mean, I love it. I love chicken and waffles. It totally does not sound like a thing that you would want like served onto you in a plate because for, for anybody who's listening that does not know chicken and waffles more often than not is generally served as just kind of like a big fluffy waffle with like a couple of chicken strips on top. Maybe if you're lucky and it's a fancy restaurant, you'll get like a whole fried chicken breast on top. And it's like, it's served as a breakfast food. So like, it's generally like butter and syrup on top. Sometimes there's gravy on top. Um, I really like chicken and waffles. I think it is delicious, and I think you are doing a disservice to yourself and food everywhere, Brad, for not having tried it yet. I mean, maybe I would try it. I just like it. Just those are two things that just don't go together in my head. Like I like chicken <laughs> and I like waffle. I like both those things. And I'm trying, like, is it like analogous to something? Like, I mean, I just don't understand why you would put those two things together or how that would, how they would come together or what is, I mean, what you like take a bite of the chicken, then you like at the same time, take a bite of the waffle or just one at a time or like what, like, what is, what is the point? <laughs> like, do they play off each other somehow? Because it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, I do it where I take both at the same time. I will like take the fork and like pierce it through the chicken, pierce it through a piece of the waffle, you know, like. Uh, slide it around a little bit of syrup and then take a bite of the whole thing. And I mean, it, I'm kind of on, I mean, I totally understand where you're coming from. Cause before the first time I ate chicken and waffles, I was like, what, like, what, like, what is this? Why, why would you want these two things on the same plate together? But um, it's really, it's really good. And I recommend it. And I think uh, something for me that I really enjoy with chicken and waffles is that like, it's kind of like a good texture thing because you have like the crispiness of the chicken and then you have like kind of the soft flakiness of a waffle um, and then like some sweet syrup going on in there and just like having it all in your mouth at the same time is sets off this like chain reaction of uh, like just like wonderful flavor this like kind of like savory flavor um, and it hits like the breakfast notes and it hits the dinner notes at the same time and it just works it totally doesn't sound like it would work but i am all i'm all about chicken and waffles well i'm not against it i mean i would try it if it was like offered to me or if i was in a place where it was like on the menu i mean you know it's 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 in a few places around seattle but it's never been my time to try it you know i've always been like after <laughs> something else or you know whatever i mean i'm not against it it's just weird it just seems weird to me so anyway sounds good looking forward to trying that i'm sure that we're going to come visit you in new orleans at some point so i'm looking forward to uh all of the various foods of the city uh, but what else do you have in your banter this week man um i have two more things uh one kind of long one kind of short um i know i talk a lot about on the show about like oh i went and photographed these guys and i went and photographed these guys and this week is no exception. Today, I went, but this is actually a better story than just going out and photographing somebody. Um, one of the main parkour dudes that I photograph here named Peyton, he has been itching to put together like a video, um, kind of like a, like almost like a show reel type parkour video for himself, uh, just like new stuff, him doing things. Um, he has a hard time getting all of his friends together to do a video because he generally likes to do like compilation videos where it's like four or five of the athletes that he's friends with and him all at a video at the same time. But everybody's busy. School just started, and they and he's just like wanted to, to take today to go out and try to film. And I was like, hey, you know, you can always ask me if, and I'll I'll help out. I'll film you. I'll do whatever. So we went 
uh, downtown today to go film, and as per usual, um, he likes to go in places that are places we shouldn't be in. And I know I've talked about this on the show before. Um, I get very nervous and very uptight and uh, turn into kind of like a big baby whenever it comes to like going into like abandoned buildings or going to like the top of like skyscrapers and shit. Like that's not the kind of stuff that I like to do because I value um, like not getting arrested and not getting caught by the police and that kind of thing. But today I finally gave in and went to, um, there's a, I, I don't want to describe this in too much detail because like, you know, I have this weird like paranoia that somehow like the New Orleans police are going to be like listening to the show and they're going to be like, oh, <laughs> now we know where they're hanging out. But I went to a place today that has, um, it's like these railroad tracks that are kind of on like an, a, like a riverfront dock and the dock is abandoned and it's kind of crumbly and kind of like not, I mean, it's not being used anymore, but there's like a six foot high, like concrete fence there's railroad tracks that are active and then there's like a fence with barbed wire on top of it. And then once you cross all those barriers, you get to this like a uh, riverfront dock that is not being used. There's boats that come up and down the river, uh, but the dock is like the dock itself is not being used. So I decided, okay, fine. Today's the day I'll go do it. Um, I was feeling good about it. And so we went, and we went down to the stock. We went out in the sand. Um, the sand was pretty stiff, so we weren't like, you know, totally sinking and it wasn't like really fluffy. And Peyton was trying to decide what he wanted to do and like put some lines together for some tricks and some movement and stuff like that. And I was taking some pictures and we were on this like dock area for about 30 minutes, like pretty much untouched. And then this boat uh, rolls up um, and it was kind of like closer to the shore than I would have expected it to be. It looked sort of like maybe some kind of like Coast Guard boat or something. Sure enough, we're out there. uh, I'm out there shooting and he's like doing like some backflips and shit. And like the boat like comes up to kind of where we are. Like it just kind of like floats up to where we are sails, if you will. And then like I've never seen a boat do this before. I mean, I don't watch boats a lot, so I can't pretend like I know all about them. But like it kind of like sailed directly past us and immediately like did whatever a boat does to like break and reverse back to where we were like almost immediately after it passed us. And the dude who was on the boat like looked at us and I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if he was going to like get off the boat or if there were going to be like other people on the boat or if he was going to have some kind of like megaphone or if he were like a cop or something. I I had no idea what was going on. Um, And the dude, like he was like an older guy on the boat and you could just see him. He just like pointed very aggressively for us to like leave the area. And of course I drove, I drove us there. So my car was the one that was like out on the street. Like, you know, I didn't know if the guy had like access to like talk to the police or something and like have them like come down on us or whatever. So we like got our shit and like hauled ass out of there. And we had to like run back across the dock and climb back through the fence and then run across the train tracks and then jump and like wall climb over this, like, like Peyton jumped up this like six foot wall. And I was like handing him all the equipment that we had. And then I had to climb it up and get down. And then he was like handing all the equipment down to me. And then we had to walk all the way around this abandoned building and get back to my car. And luckily there was like no police or anything back by my car, but 
whenever we were I was driving us out of there, I think there was like a police SUV, like a couple, like a block behind me and following me for a few blocks. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be it. This is going to be it. Like, I'm going to get pulled over. Like, we're going to get like freaking arrested for trespassing or something because like Peyton has done this kind of stuff like dozens of times and he's never like come close to getting in trouble or getting arrested or anything. And I knew that the one time I decided to like, you know, suck it up and go to somewhere I shouldn't be with them, that this kind of thing would happen. But luckily, the SUV took a right hand turn and we kept going straight. And Peyton and I decided that we, uh, that maybe it was like going to where we were. And that was like the SUV that was going in to kind of like assess the situation. And we got out basically like just in the nick of time. And I brought us home and uh, luckily I escaped unscathed as far as I could tell. But um, it was kind of a close call and I was like kind of scared for a little while after it happened. Yeah, that sounds kind of nerve wracking. So I guess, you know, we have talked about you going into these or, you know, your your feelings about going into these illicit places uh, and such. So this, uh, you know, this seems like another scare. Are you, have you like learned your lesson or was the, the adrenaline so awesome that you're going to do it again? Or like, what is your, what's your takeaway from this? Um, my takeaway is that the adrenaline was not awesome enough to make me feel good about what I did. Um, I, I basically am reserving the right to accept or decline an invitation to go into like a, a kind of like a forbidden or illegal area on like a case by case basis. So um, there is a solid chance I might do it again in the future. Uh, I just have to like assess like what time of the day is it? Who am I with? How many people are here? You know, is there anybody around? Can I do I think we can get away with it? Um, and then I'll kind of go from there because I don't really enjoy the thought of going into sort of like these like illegal spaces. And I've talked about this on the show before, but that's like a big thing about like parkour and free running culture is like, you know, it's like who who can get on the rooftops and who can do like the coolest tricks on these like rooftops that they're not supposed to be on. And there's a free running group called Storer, S-T-O-R-R-O-R. And they're like potentially like the most famous free running group right now, maybe like number two or number three. And they just released a full length documentary film a few weeks ago called uh, Roof Culture Asia. And like we all watched it at Peyton's house. And it's basically like... I like them exploring like rooftops and doing parkour and about like parkour culture and three different cities in Asia. And I think since Peyton has watched it, he's been like eager to make something like that, you know, sort of like a go big or go home. Like I want to be on rooftops. I want to be doing this too kind of thing. And I, I mean, I, I, I like support his endeavors on wanting to like make something like that. But the idea of going onto a bunch of rooftops is not, really uh i don't know it just doesn't mesh well with me it it freaks me out and it's illegal and i just don't i'm not um into that idea i guess well something to consider i mean you got to know what your limits are and uh i know that you know these guys must be thrill seekers of some sort otherwise they probably wouldn't be doing what they're doing but uh you got to look deep inside yourself sir <laughs> got to know those limits you got to set boundaries <laughs> Yeah, I told Peyton today that, like, I mean, because one of my big problems with it, obviously, is the fact that, like, you know, I've been in New Orleans for six months. I live here now, and I'm trying to, like, start a career here. And I told Peyton today, I was like, I was like, you know, every single job application that I fill out, there's always that checkbox that says, have you ever been convicted of a felony? 
And I, I was like, so far in my 29 years of life, I've never had to check that box in every job application. And I do not want this to be the thing that makes me have to like start checking that box for the rest of my life as I apply for applications. Cause all it takes is like one sort of slip up like that, or, you know, getting caught by the, by the wrong cop who wants to like make you the example and, you know, like put you in prison for a night or something. And, you know, it, that suddenly becomes a very big and very real barrier for you for the rest of your life. So that's just kind of like the very adult and responsible me, how I sort of think about it in my head every time he's like, oh, let's go in this abandoned building or something like that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, it's not as serious as some other crimes, but having any kind of a mark like that on your record is tough. And in today's job market, I mean, it's already tough enough as it is. No one needs a disadvantage like that. So something to think about. And uh, yeah, maybe you, maybe maybe young, excited Corey, and then wiser, mature Corey can sit down together <laughs> over some beer and chicken and waffles, just kind of like hash it out and see see what you're going to do. Uh, yeah, Um it's just a shame that New Orleans doesn't have a really great space. Like, it doesn't really have great spaces to do parkour in. Um, it's kind of like, I mean, it's it's a little bit like skateboard culture where, like, you know, like, if you build a skate park, then the skaters are going to go to the skate park. I mean, not everybody is, but that it will attract skateboarders because that is a place where they can do skateboarding things, uh, you know, rather than doing skateboarding stuff like on like in front of businesses or you know on benches outside of businesses that are private property and that kind of stuff and I feel a little bit about that way like with parkour culture here because New Orleans I mean I didn't it took me a really long time to realize this and I actually think that I don't remember if it was Peyton or not that had to explain it to me but like I mean uh you know I come from the Midwest I, I was born and raised in the Midwest and I mean there's no shortage of land in the Midwest like it is you know uh, I mean, like the whole state of Kansas, there's like nothing in it. It's just like a giant state with nothing. And, you know, Nebraska is pretty similar to that. Missouri is a little bit like that. And uh, but, you know, moving to New Orleans, like land is at a premium here. Like it is uh, it is waterfront. It is uh, hurricane ready, natural disaster ready. There's not a whole lot of space for stuff down here. And it took me a really long time after moving here to realize that. And it just makes it difficult because there's not there's not as much space there's not as much space to build things so like uh, like a, a parkour type like area um, like an outdoor area isn't really something that I think that you know like anybody on like city council or anything is like oh yeah that's a thing that we need to like give up our precious land space to so but I feel like if they had something like that here then you know maybe the guys would be less tempted to go into an abandoned power plant or into an abandoned dock where they're not supposed to be or something like that. So I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm onto something here. I don't know. I don't really know. But that's just sort of uh, how I think about it sometimes. Well, certainly something to consider, although and I, you know, I am not in the parkour culture. I don't know anything about that. (laughs) But it just seems to me like what little information I have, which is from commercials and the Internet. uh, So obviously I'm an expert. Uh, I don't know. Seems like those guys would maybe do that anyway. Uh, but that's that's something we will solve another day. Uh, did you have one more one more piece of banter, sir? Or how how's your banter been doing? Uh, it's good. I have one more small thing. I'll get to it. I'll get it over with, and we can get out of here. Um, this is important for. I feel like this is like going to be like a real like I'm going to do game critics proud here with this piece of banter because tonight on CBS, Star Trek Discovery debuted. And Patrick paid for the little, like, CBS all-access, like, it's kind of like the HBO Go of CBS. And I watched the pilot, 
for Star Trek Discovery, if you had asked me two years ago, hey, Corey, do you think you'll ever watch, A, a, a Star Trek pilot, and B, an episode of Star Trek ever in your life? I would have said no. I would never watch Star Trek. And tonight, I crawled up on the couch and watched the premiere of Star Trek Discovery. And I have to say, it was pretty good. I liked it. Um, I uh, For like a brief... Uh, I don't know, I guess synopsis of the story. Uh, Discovery is a prequel, which I think is super lame. Allegedly, it takes place before, like, even, like, the original series. And it stars um, a group of uh, Starfleet officers, as Star Trek usually does, on board a starship. Um, So it's not, like, DS9 or Atlanta Space Station. It's, like, they're on a starship, like, every other Star Trek. I cannot remember what the star, what the ship is called. This is going to be, like... Uh, like mild racism because it's an Asian name. I think it's like Shinjoko, like Starship Shin, Shin something. And I feel awful not remembering it. But um, uh, but I mean it's pretty good. They actually they find a thing that's blocking communications or like one of their communications in Starfleet uh space, like a communications little like buoy thing gets messed up. They go to investigate it. And it turns out that there's like a cloaked Klingon ship nearby. And I guess this series is supposed to tell the tale of like the first like Starfleet and Klingon meeting in like 100 years. Uh, but I like it. There's two episodes up that premiered on CBS tonight. I have watched the first episode. I have not watched the second episode yet. But uh, here I am officially a Trekkie watching uh season premieres series premieres of star trek which is something i never thought i would do in a million years interesting interesting so that all sounds good i'm actually interested in the show as well i'm not a huge um star trek fan like i'm not like you know i have not gone to like a star trek convention or anything but i you know (laughs) i've i've watched many of the episodes not all of them but i mean like a ton and i'm definitely interested and Although I am not very excited about signing up to a new service. Um, I thought about it for a minute because I really do want to watch this show. Uh, but how, I guess, how does this, you said you would do Game Critics Proud. How do you see that connecting to the pride of Game Critics? Because I know a lot of, uh, um, a lot of people uh, like Richard, uh, like Richard Nyack of uh, Game Critics fame is... Uh, very into Star Trek. And I remember very specifically, I guest starred on an episode of the Game Critics podcast. This is probably like a year or a year and a half ago. And we actually had a listener question on the show and everybody had to name their, all the Starfleet captains or like the series captains, like from worst to best. And, uh, and like, uh, I would like, I struggled because at that point I had only seen like, like a tiny bit of like two of the series i hadn't seen any voyager i hadn't seen any um of the original series i don't think i had only seen a little bit of ds9 and some of a a lot of next generation at that point so i kind of like i don't know kind of talked out of my ass for a minute and i remember like you and tim and richard and she all answered the question very gracefully of course tim and richard being very thorough about their answers because they're like super duper into star trek i don't know if any of those guys listen to our show but um i feel like i can sort of like uh like reclaim some honor like as a klingon would say and and like do them proud for like being really into star trek now (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, I get you. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, since we haven't been doing the Game Critics podcast, I mean, you know, I like Star Trek, but it doesn't come up on this show very often. It doesn't come up at the site very often. I think I think the Game Critics cast is where that really had its presence felt the most. So uh, now that you've cleared that up, that does make perfect sense. Um, <laughs> so we should talk about this. Uh, give me a chance to try to catch up with it. Hopefully I'll be able to see these episodes at some point. Maybe we should talk a little bit about it. Not Not to do like a whole... Star Trek cast, as I'm sure some people on the Game Critics <laughs> show would like to do. We'll just touch base on it a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, uh, it's a female-led cast, right, and pretty diverse. I mean, that's like the big the big uh, draw of the show. Yeah, so far. Um, the main woman who's like the first officer on the ship is, I, I don't know, I can't remember who she is in real life, but she is a black woman who was on, I guess she was on The Walking Dead for a long time, and I don't watch The Walking Dead, so I don't know who she was on there. And the captain of the Star Trip is Michelle Yeoh, who is a very famous Asian actress or Asian American. Uh, and uh, yeah, and so it's basically at, at this point being led by a black woman and an Asian woman. And then um, the, the chief medical officer is uh, the guy. Oh, my God, I'm so bad at this. He's the guy who was on uh, the Tina Fey show 30 Rock. Uh, his name is Jonathan on that show, and he is, I don't know uh, if he's, like, Arabic or something. I feel so bad right now because I'm, like, trying to act like I know about diversity, and I don't. But he he's not white, basically. <laughs> so it's, like, the chief medical officer is not white, and the two leads are two women of color as well. Um, I mean, the rest of the cast seems kind of white at this point um but i mean it, we're talking about two leading women of color and then you know the chief medical officer is not a white guy so the show is definitely pushing uh some boundaries in that regard i mean star trek has always been about diversity but i feel like they're like really pushing it this time around and i think that's a really good thing I, everybody on the cast so far um i mean i've only seen one episode but they're all uh they're all solid i like all of it in uh thumbs up i guess so far excellent well i look forward to checking it out um yeah i do want i did watch the walking dead i haven't watched it for a long time but yeah i do remember her being on the show i don't remember what her real name was but i did like her character um and i know that they had to delay filming of star trek because they had to wait for her to be done on the walking dead i mean apparently they knew she was going to uh leave the show and so they had to wait for her to die i didn't say that in case people (laughs) don't want to be spoiled i did not say that she was going to leave the show and then she was going to do this. So I know that there was like a big to do and they were waiting to get all the all the parts lined up. And it was kind of an ordeal um, couple, a couple delays. But apparently everybody who's seen it so far that I've talked to has really liked it a lot, which is promising because I would be very up for um, another Star Trek series. I haven't watched Star Trek in quite some time. So excellent, excellent, excellent. Looking forward to that. And thank you for that report. Is that uh, is that what you got for banter? Yeah, I think I'm finally done. After talking about Three Food Fest, talking about Parkour Adventures, talking about Star Trek, I am finally finished with banter. So, Brad, tell me what has been going on with you in the past week of your life. Um, not a whole lot. I will keep my banter uh, short and sweet. Um, one thing that I want to talk about real briefly is I want to give a recommendation to any parents who are listening. Um, we must have at least a couple parents listening. I'm sure that we do. And I'm always looking for good podcasts to listen to whenever we're in the car, you know, we're going to go drive somewhere and, you know, listening to music is fine, but sometimes, uh, we don't all want to listen to the same music. And so that's like a little bit of a conflict, which is 
peaceably solves, but you know, maybe we all want to agree on something. Or maybe we want to use that time to, you know, get some education in. We're homeschoolers, and so we like to, like, get as much education in as possible, take all these little opportunities and just, you know, seize on these things that just naturally occur during the day. So podcasts are really good for this. We listen to a pretty wide variety. I mean, I only listen to game podcasts when I'm by myself, but when I'm with the family, we listen to, like, you know, different different types. And one that I really like and that I would really recommend to anybody who has kids uh, on the younger side, I mean, not necessarily tiny, but... Your, your 16-year-old is maybe not going to want to listen to this, but it's called, and this is a, a terrible name, I apologize. <laughs> it's called Short and Curly, which I really, really dislike the name. Um, don't like that name at all. But it's from <laughs> Australia, I believe, the Short and Curly podcast. And it poses, like, ethical questions in a way that kids can understand. And the thing that's really cool about it, and I, I'm not taking props for this. My wife actually found this one. So props to my wife, who's like an amazing homeschool mom. Uh, I'm not taking credit for this. I'm just passing this on. Uh, so what happens is they'll have like one topic per episode, and then they will uh, talk about it, like set up the question. Like one they talked about was, uh, you know, what makes a, a robot different than a human being? And like what would make a robot more like a human? So they were kind of talking about like the ethics of AI, but not in like a real highfalutin, you know, science weekly kind of way. Like it was really broken down, super simple. Um, they also talked about like lying and it was like, you know, when is it okay to lie? When is it not okay to lie? And they don't have the answers. Like they don't have like a right or wrong. Like every episode is like, this is a situation we're going to come up with. We're going to pop it on you. And then you pause the podcast and then everybody who's listening to it, like discuss. And everybody says, well, this is what I think. And this is what I feel. And then somebody else discusses. So it's like this natural way of like instigating a really great conversation, um, among your family about things that, you know, maybe you think about, maybe you don't, but like to put them kind of front and center and everybody can really digest them. And it's great. Like I really, I really like it a lot. After you get a chance to discuss, they come back to the audio and then they do interviews with like a bunch of kids who are like school kids in Australia and they ask for like all their opinions. So there's no correct answer. It's always like, you know, one kid says this, another one says this, they all have their different perspectives and it just gives you something to think about. So I really like that show a lot. I think it's really educational and really a great way to talk with your kids about stuff that you really should be talking to them about. And it just gets you thinking. So I give a big thumbs up to the Short and Curly podcast. I hate the name, but it's a great (laughs) podcast. And I would really, really recommend it to anybody who just wants to talk about that kind of stuff with their kids. Really interesting, thought-provoking stuff. And we need more of this stuff uh, around our children these days. I don't suppose you've ever heard of this, Corey. You don't listen to educational podcasts, do you? No, I really don't. I'm so bad about not listening to podcasts. Like, I feel like I'm really bad about creating things in a medium and not paying attention to the surface, like, of that medium. Like, we do this podcast every week. I rarely listen to podcasts right now. I mean, if I got a job where I, like, had to drive, like, a half an hour to work and back every day or something, or and, and, and or could listen to podcasts at work, I would probably listen to a lot of gaming podcasts. And, like, I write about games, and I don't really read a whole lot of games writing, which kind of makes me, like, a terrible person. So I don't, uh, yeah, I have not listened to this. I probably would not, but I do like the way it sounds. I like the fact that from the way you're describing it about how it's like a roundtable discussion rather than saying, like, a like a this is right versus this is wrong because something that I'm really, really tired of in life and on Twitter and on social media and everything is basically like people dichotomizing issues just to try to make them as easy as they can to understand. Like saying, like taking two things that don't have to be 
against each other and just using them to be against each other. It's kind of like, you know, like, for example, like Black Lives Matter versus the police. Like, you can like and support Black Lives Matter and black people. You can also support the police. It's not like you have to choose one side and stick with it 100%. So the fact that that show seems, Short and Curly, seems like a roundtable discussion rather than like a this is right or this is wrong kind of thing um, sounds good. I don't suppose Short and Curly has talked about Black Lives Matter and the police, have they, Brad? Um, Not so far, but to be fair, <laughs> I've only heard, I think, a couple episodes. And they are Australian, so I think their focus is like a little bit different. I wouldn't be surprised if they did, uh, because some of those episodes do touch on things that would have, you know, clear parallels to, you know, politics or to parenting or the police. Uh, there was one episode <clears throat> that talked about, like, the situation was, let's say that you're at a carnival and one of your friends runs up to you and says, hey, there's been a real big misunderstanding. Um, they don't know what's going on. I'm in trouble. Please don't tell anybody where I am. And then they take off. And you know where they're hiding. And then all of a sudden, like, a police officer comes up and says, hey, do you know where this person is? And then stop and discuss. So, like, you could easily talk about, like, like in the past, and the discussion that we kind of had, I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but, you know, we, like, I look at my wife and I'm like, you know, 20 years ago, I would have said, yeah, I'm really pro-police and I think that they keep us safe and things are good. But now, currently, I actually don't really feel that way anymore. Like, I feel like, <laughs> I, you know, sometimes they're good and sometimes I'm actually nervous when cops show up. Like, you know, and I'm a white guy. I don't have as much to fear from the police as other people do. But I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people in the police force that are maybe not good guys. And I think a lot of bad stuff happens. And especially in Seattle, we have for such a really left leaning liberal city, our police force is really known for being extremely violent and overly violent and brutal. So that's a weird thing to happen. And so with all of that context, you know, my wife had one perspective, I had one perspective and my son had his perspective. And, you know, so they may not have been talking about Black Lives Matter or the modern state of police or the impending fascism of America, but there were a lot of parallels <laughs> and stuff that we could would bring into the conversation. So I think it's a great place to start. And I really, I like that stuff a lot. I think it's a great place to, uh, to take a kid and listen and talk. And, and like you said, there is, I mean, you're correct. I mean, I think a lot of people dichotomize and a lot of people pick right or wrong or this or that. And we need to have a lot more free thinking in America. We need to get back to education and independent uh, consideration of things. We just, we've gotten so far away from that. The, the 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 state of free thought in America is dismal right now. So anything that pushes us back towards that direction is a good thing for me. <clears throat> uh, just one more really quick piece of banter before we move on. I uh, just wanted to give a shout out to the State Fair here in Washington. It used to be called the Puyallup Fair, uh, but it is now called the State Fair. They did a little rebranding a couple years ago. Uh, really good time. It's the biggest fair in Washington. We went, uh, I think, last Thursday when all of the kids were back in school and it was in the middle of the week. And so I figured it would be a very lightly attended day. And that proved to be correct, which is great. Uh, we bought a bunch of tickets to go on some rides, uh, went on some roller coasters and lots of spinny things and lots of things that made us sick. And then we ate a lot of greasy food, which was really good. And we just had like a really fun day. Nothing special, nothing really noteworthy about it, except for the fact that it's just really great to get out to something like that and to do an activity where we just, you know, took a day during the middle of the week and it was just all about family and we just spent some time together. Um, I don't know about you, Corey, but when I was growing up, I did not have the best relationship with my folks. We did not do a lot of those things. We didn't really go to like fun family events. It was like if my dad wanted to do something, 
we would go to whatever he was going to because he wanted to go. Not that it was necessarily fun for anybody else, but that's what we were doing because he decided. And I ended up getting dragged to a lot of things that were really fucking boring and that I didn't like doing. <laughs> so whenever we and my family get to do something that's fun for everybody, I think that's like a win for me because I'm like actively choosing to do something more family focused. So I feel good about that. So fried food, rides on a Thursday. It was good times. Nothing super special, I guess, in the big scheme of things. But for me, it felt like a pretty special day. So just really enjoyed that. And um, yeah, man, I mean, how can you not like uh, a corn dog followed up by a potato spun up into the shape of like uh, a spiral and then followed up with spicy <laughs> corn and then followed up with <laughs> strawberry shortcake. And then, you know, like, I mean, it was ridiculous. So I, I gained probably 10 pounds, but it was a good day regardless. <laughs> How long does this might be a really dumb question, but everywhere I've I feel like everywhere I've lived in my life, the state fair has only been like a Friday through Sunday thing. How long does it run there? Oh, well, here in Washington, it runs for almost a full month. So it's always okay. Yeah, it's almost like it's always at the end of the summer and it starts before kids go back to school and it runs all the way past. So I think it's actually still running now. I think it's, it's basically the entire month of September. Uh, so it's a pretty big deal. I mean, it's it's pretty big. Lots of people go there. It runs, you know, almost the whole month. And there's, you know, there's there's like farm stuff. There's, like I said, rides and food and music and concerts and games. I mean, it's a pretty big deal in that part of Washington. It's about maybe like an hour away from where I'm at. So not too bad of a drive. And then you spend the whole day there and come back. So it's all good. But yeah, it's it's pretty big. It's a pretty big deal. And it's a it's a you can go like multiple times during the month if you want to. And there's there's lots of stuff to do it. You really can't cover the whole thing in one day. Oh, that sounds really cool. Um, I mean, I could I there's like a chance I could be mistaken about my weekend state fair statistic. But I don't I'm not really like a state fair kind of guy. So I can't pretend like I always went to them growing up. But I know in my hometown and my hometown was very, very small. So it's not like we were in some big city like Seattle. But I'm pretty sure it was only like a weekend thing, but, uh, but yeah, that sounds cool. Like a whole month and various activities and chances to revisit. I mean, and funnel cakes, I'm assuming there are funnel cakes. There had to be, right? Oh yeah, of course, dude. There's funnel cakes. And the thing we always get is we always get like the crusty pup when we go, which is like a little corn dog, which is really good. They do strawberry shortcakes, which are made out of like, um, crushed up scones and they're like, they're enormous. And then we got like a plate of nachos that was like bigger than my fucking head. And, you know, <laughs> everything's fried. I mean, they have other stuff, too. They have like um, deep fried butter, which I've actually never tried because it sounds nasty to me. Whoa. And uh, I mean, everything there is fried and it's it's pretty good. But there's a good variety. And we just really, really enjoyed it. Um, it was ironic because when we went down there, I actually ended up uh, bumping into Jeremiah from the Game Bar podcast. Totally unplanned. I mean, it's this place is enormous. It's like huge. And the odds of me bumping into somebody that I know at that, you know, in this place at this time, at in this location was like pretty amazing. So I bumped into him, said, hey, hung out for a minute and then went our separate ways. So that was like, like a nice little perk to the day. But yeah, it's a really fun time. Definitely recommend it if you are in the Washington state area anytime near September. So anyway, that is all I have for uh, banter. We are all bantered out. Let's move on to the main event, the games chat. Corey, my secret informants tell me that you have just completed the new Dishonored content. It's called, what, Death of the Outsider? Is that correct? Death of the Outsider, yep. Death of the Outsider. I'm assuming he's dead. Why don't you give us some wrap-up, sir? 
Uh, I did last week. I talked about this um, on the show. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Think... Is, do we should we put up a spoiler warning? Is there is this spoilery talk? Uh, no, I'll keep it light. Um, okay, okay. Just wanted to check. Yeah, I, I think I just have like a few main points I want to make after it, but none of it involves like end game content that I can. Uh, I'll, I'll be nice. I won't spoil anything. Um, I mean, long story short, if and I said this on the last show, it's more Dishonored. I mean, if you like Dishonored before, you're going to like this. If you didn't like Dishonored before, this is not really going to change your mind about Dishonored. Um, me, I love Dishonored, so this was, like, right at my alley. Um, I, I was totally into it. So I, I have a few things I want to talk about, though, about it real quick. Um, uh, the first thing being that I, I, I didn't really catch on to this until I saw a few people kind of mention it on social media uh, maybe who realized it faster than I did, is that Death of the Outsider is kind of like like a Dishonored light. Like it's kind of like a like a maybe if you thought old Dishonoreds were hard, then this might be a good like one to play. Which is kind of stupid because it's like the final chapter allegedly of the Dishonored series. So like I don't know why you'd want to start here, but some of the powers that uh, the main character's name is Billy Lurk, and some of the powers that she has are like a little bit better than the powers that other characters through the game have. Like, for example, uh, every character up until Billy has had a power called the Void Gaze. And it basically, uh, like, you probably, you had equipped the power, you press the power button, which is usually, like, left trigger or L2, and it lets characters see through walls for, um, like, see through walls, see enemies through walls, and see, like, the enemies, like, cone vision through walls and, like, any other, like, items and stuff in the area. And it's kind of, like, a nice, like... If you want to be stealthy, you sit there, you look through walls, you kind of get a bead on where everybody is, and then once the the energy drains, then you you know go back to normal vision or you can turn it off, um, and then that's kind of how you go about it. But in uh, like one of the powers that Billy has, her version of uh, Void Gaze is one I can't remember what it's called, but it's one where instead of her just being able to see through walls, she can actually her vision kind of like leaves her body, and you can like basically move the camera around like for quite a bit of space for a limited time maybe like 15 seconds or 20 seconds you can like move the camera back and forth and up and down and move it through doors it doesn't go through walls so it's not like totally omniscient but you can like go through basically any open area and you can mark enemies if you see them uh you can mark them you can mark uh pick up a bull items in the environment like if you see like a bone charm or like a gun then you can mark those um you can only mark a limited amount of enemies but i think it's like five or something so it's like enough uh, per room and uh once you mark an enemy and turn and and time pauses during the the gaze too so like you don't have to worry about like getting caught you know if somebody sees you while you're doing it or whatever and once you mark everybody and you take the the gaze back to her to billy's body um, that not only do the enemies stay marked and show up and their cones of vision show up, but like the, wherever they're walking, their little like patrol route will, will show up as these little kind of like silhouette dot things on the ground. So it just makes it really like, kind of like speeds things along in a way that I really appreciated. Um, it cuts out a little bit of, um, you know, like the, the risk and you know the saving and reloading every 30 seconds which is something i did anyway because i'm like a stealth perfectionist but it's just like a little example of the game being a little bit more accommodating to the player and giving them a power that that uh you know it hasn't really been seen in another dishonored game or like kind of a twist on a power that you've seen in an old dishonored game and i really appreciated that it's a really nice um a really 
easy and fun and useful power to have. Um, but that kind of brings me to my next point, which is kind of a major like downside of the game for me. And ever since Dishonored 2, I think, uh, actually, I can't remember if the first one had this or not. It's a little bit irrelevant. But um, a Dishonored Death of the Outsider has New Game Plus. Uh, Dishonored 2 had New Game Plus. So I was really looking forward to finishing Dishonored uh, Death of the Outsider and playing it in New Game Plus because I generally, when I play Dishonored for the first time, I will do a no... Um, a no detection, no kills run. I'll do a uh, totally ghost it, won't kill anybody. And then the second time through, I usually do like a like murder everyone ever, but try to stay as stealthy as I can run because I think that's my favorite way to play Dishonored. So I was like really excited about New Game Plus, like being able to keep all of like the stuff that she learned over the course of the game, keep all her upgrades, keep all her powers and, you know, all that good stuff uh, and go into a second game. But... Dishonored Death of the Outsider does New Game Plus a little bit different. Um, it it uh, Whenever I started the game, uh, I didn't really know what all it was going to do. And what it does is it, instead of giving you Billy's normal powers, it substitutes in powers from Dishonored 2. So whenever you start it, um, her teleport ability is uh, Corvo's teleport, which is called Blink from Dishonored 2. Like it kind of subs that in. And blink, if you hold down the left trigger, all time stops around you, and you put the little uh, cursor where you want to go, you let go of it, and she teleports there immediately, or he, in the case of Corvo. Whereas Billy's other, her primary um, teleport, you you can place um, you can place the silhouette of her wherever you want, and then you can run around freely and do whatever you want, and the silhouette will stay there. And then if you're in sight of the of the silhouette or in with a certain range, and press the L2 button, then she'll teleport there. So it's just like a little bit different. Um, and like, it takes away, it, it gives her void gaze instead of her like ephemeral, like leaving the body, like omniscient uh, gaze. It, it gives her void gaze instead. And I, so I started New Game Plus and I was like, wow, these powers are all like not as good as Billy's regular powers. Like they're totally familiar because they're from other, from other games from Dishonored 2. But I grew to love her powers for like the twists on them for what they had compared to the old uh, the old Dishonored games, and so I was kind of disappointed when I started New Game Plus. It actually kind of makes the game a little bit harder in my opinion, and and I uh, tune the difficulty down a notch to kind of make up for that because generally the first time I play a game I play on medium, and then after that I play it on easy because I don't have anything to prove after my first playthrough. Um, and, like, you collect a certain amount of bone charms over the course of the game, and bone charms ba basically just give you, like, little buffs, and you can equip X amount, and you can, like, buy uh, upgrade slots from uh, black market shops in town to be able to hold more at the same time. And whenever you start a new game plus, you lose all of your bone charms, so you don't get to keep them, and some of them have, like, pretty good upgrades, like being able to double jump or having like more health or more of like the void uh, power that you can use your your magical powers with and you also get a sword a really interesting sword about halfway through the dlc and you lose the sword on new game plus and i was like what the fuck like basically like in my opinion a new game plus is traditionally you start the game again and you keep all the shit you had whenever you finish your last game and you just basically keep on rolling with that but dishonor death of the outsiders new game plus is hey we're gonna take away everything you earned in your first play and we're gonna sub in some powers from dishonor 2 that aren't as good as the powers that you had in the first game 
and we're going to let you go to it. So I was pretty disappointed uh, in the fact that their new Game Plus, or it's called Original Game Plus in this, and maybe that's why I should have expected something a little bit different, that they kind of went that route for Original Game Plus on here, because I uh, I don't really like the powers that they gave me. Uh, and I mentioned this on the last show, but like one of my favorite powers from Dishonor 1 and 2 is where if you kill someone without them seeing you, um, their body just vanishes on site, so you don't have to worry about picking the body up and carrying it somewhere and putting it, you know, dropping it somewhere where nobody's going to patrol. So it makes it really quick where you can just, like, blink through the area, kill everybody, their bodies disappear, and it's, like, the ultimate ninja experience. And it doesn't even give you that ability in the new game plus. Like, my favorite ability that I, like, really wanted to use and that I was missing the whole time I was playing Death of the Outsider, I was like, oh, cool, at least I'll get that in Death of the Outsider, like the new game plus. And it doesn't even give you that power. So I, I'm sure, I think I'm going to play through this game again just because I think it's good enough to be played through a second time. But I was very disappointed that the new game plus, like, basically dropped the ball hard on, like, everything that I thought a new game plus should be. So just early warning to anybody who's planning on playing this and planning on doing new game plus. It doesn't really do new game plus the way you might think it's going to do new game plus. Let me let me throw this out there to you. I remember we yes. we've talked about this in the past um, and I recall. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, because I have not played this myself. But I thought that you had said that this one seemed a little more streamlined, like maybe there was like less to it. So if that is correct, um, maybe it's possible that they changed all of these things rather than doing the traditional New Game Plus. Uh, they thought that, you know, we can't have as many story branches or maybe we can't have as many different variables in the campaign. So there's less reason to replay but at the same time, maybe we'll switch up the powers and maybe that in itself will be reason enough for someone to go back again. We can't provide a bunch of new content because this is small DLC or smaller than a main game. But maybe they thought the powers themselves would, would kind of, uh, you know, provide some incentive. I mean, does that does that seem like a, a possible reason? Yeah, I mean, it definitely does because it changes up like the overall flavor of the game just a little bit, um, you know, in that regard. And I mean... The, the game can be very short. I mean, it's only, it's five missions long. And uh, I mean, it's, you know, Dishonored, it's very much like Deus Ex in that regard where like you can do like as much or as little as you want. So, I mean, I'm sure it's possible to finish this DLC if you're like I even like a moderately quick player and probably like three hours, maybe, uh, maybe like four hours. But me being, you know, the, the player that I am who inspects every nook and cranny of every room, it took me about 13 hours to finish this DLC. So like maybe, you know, that's a reason too. like, they thought, well, you know, it's a little bit shorter, so maybe we can just set out some powers, but I was just really disappointed that like the game kind of makes like one of the main objectives of the DLC, like getting this cool new sword and like collecting bone charms. And then it like, doesn't even give you those things for the new game. Plus I was a little disappointed about that. At the very least, it does seem like they should give you a choice. Like, would you like to replay with the same shit you have just because you want to have fun? Or would you like to try this new challenge or this new flavor? I mean, that, that to me, it seems like that's at least what they should do. Um, because I hate that because I, you know, I don't, I almost never replay games. I just, I have too many games to play. I, part of the, the appeal of playing a game to me is because I don't know what's coming up and I like to find out what's happening. Once I know a lot of appeal is really stripped away from games for me. So it takes a really, really special game to make me want to replay it. I've only, 
like in my whole life, I've only replayed a very small handful of games that I thought were, were worth replaying. So I hate when you get something that's really cool. And then by the time you get that thing, like it's only a little bit of time before the game is over. Uh, like you get a really, you know, like you said, a sword or a cool power, or you start to feel like you've really hit the top of the power curve and you're really kicking some ass and it feels good. <laughs> um, you know, games usually don't let you have that stuff until you're almost done. And then it's usually over. And then maybe they think you're going to carry through the new, new game. Plus I never do. Uh, but I, I can't understand wanting to get that, that cool stuff and wanting to use it again. It sounds like a real bummer. They don't let you do that. It's too bad. It's not even a choice. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's pretty unfortunate. And like, uh, I, I think I was the most mad about the bone charms thing because like, uh, like a, a traditional thing in Dishonored is like, kind of like, uh, leveling up your character a little bit. Cause you can spend like points you collect runes and you could spend them to upgrade your powers or to upgrade your abilities like being able to like move faster or move quieter or like jump higher and stuff like that and one way the death of the outsider streamlines some of that is by letting the bone charms do that for you like some of the bone charms um like i had one like i said earlier that let me double jump and i had one that made me like quieter and i had one that made me faster and you know stuff like that and you know, uh, because I had collected them little by little over the game, I didn't realize what an impact they had on the gameplay until I started my original game plus. And I was like, wow, I'm really slow. I can't jump very high. I feel really sluggish. And it just goes like to show that even those incremental upgrades over the course of the game really make you feel like, like a faster and like stealthier and more powerful player. And having all that taken away on the new game plus was a really big bummer. Um, but I mean... I don't know. It is what it is. It's the way that they chose to to do it. Um, and I'm sure, like I said earlier, I'm still going to play through it again because I think it's good enough to be played through again. Um, but it's just, I don't know. I'm a little bit disappointed. Maybe they'll patch in like a real New Game Plus later or something because uh, Arcane and Bethesda are pretty good about like releasing patches of their games over time. But I mean, because it's like a standalone DLC, I'm not really going to hold my breath for a new New Game Plus, if you will. Yeah, I hear you. Well, at least you got one enjoyable play out of it. And, uh, you know, there's really no shortage of stuff out there. If you really uh, don't like the way that this is swinging, I'm sure we could find something else for you to play. Something <laughs> that you could talk about on the show, perhaps. Perhaps. I do have, like, at least two things in my backlog currently that are itching to be played. So now that I'm done with Dishonored, I have a couple other things to play. But I do, I, I want to make it clear that I love Dishonored Death of the Outsider. I think it's excellent. I am a Dishonored fan, though, so you know, as to be expected, you know, I will, I will like it. I'm just a little bit disappointed that new game plus is not as great. Um, but I mean, it's, it's a small price to pay for an otherwise excellent package. Well, this is a perfect example of not dichotomizing. Like we were just talking about, you can like dishonored and still be disappointed in it. So <laughs> there we go. Any other thoughts on dishonored before we move on, Corey? Uh, two very quick things. I say very quick. I'm going to make them very quick. There's a bank heist mission in the middle of the game, and it's amazing. I have determined that uh, people from Arcane and people from Idis Montreal who make Deus Ex, they need to just make a new studio and make a game that's all about bank heists because Deus Ex Mankind Divided had a bank heist mission in it, and it was one of the highlights of the game. The bank heist mission and Dishonored Death of the Outsider is really good, uh, so that needs to be a thing. Something else that I want to say about it real quick is that if you like me, if you're like me and you don't, I don't look at trophy lists or achievement lists for games before I play them because I'm worried that looking at them might spoil things in the game for me. Uh, so I always play through the game, 
sometimes I expect certain trophies to be there, but I won't check to make sure they're actually there before I do it. I want to let anybody know who was about to play Dishonored Death of the Outsider that if you're going for an entire game, no kills, no uh, detection trophy, uh, there is no whole game no kill trophy. There is a trophy for beating a single mission without killing somebody, and there is a trophy for beating the whole game without being detected, but there is no whole game no kill trophy i painstakingly played this uh played this expansion not killing a single person so i could get the no kills whole game trophy because usually there is one and then the game did not have it so keep that in mind people like me if you're going into this trying to do no kills for the whole game for that trophy you don't have to do it that seems like a really big whiff i mean most stealth games these days kind of have the no-kill trophy. I mean, I'm trying to think of one that doesn't have it. That seems pretty common, and in fact, Dishonored is is kind of famous for the choice in letting you play your way. I'm, I'm actually really surprised to hear that. Yeah, it was really strange, because I'm pretty sure every Dishonored up to this point, and like both Deus Ex games have it, where if you play the whole, you have like a trophy for playing the whole game with no alarms or no detections, and you have a whole trophy for playing the whole game with no kills and for some reason death of the outsider bucks that trend i mean it still has the ghost one where you can play it without being detected and of course i got that one because i'm like a stealth master in the game and by stealth master i mean someone who saves and reloads every 15 seconds (laughs) that that is the true definition (laughs) of stealth master (laughs) but uh, yeah they only have the the one mission no kill trophy so feel free to play the first mission and not kill anybody get that trophy and then just murder your way through the rest of the game if you don't care about stuff like that and there you go. You've got Corey's blessing to kill everyone. <laughs> yes. All right, let's move on to another topic. I will take this next section. Um, just a couple of really quick wrap-ups for me before we get on to uh, a brand new game. A while ago, long time ago, I talked about Senran Kagura Estival Versus, which is on the Vita. Um, I think it may also be on the PS4, I believe. This is a game from a couple years ago. It's in the series that is best known for how much jiggle the female characters have. Every <laughs> every female ninja in this game, full of female ninjas, is like ridiculously, absurdly endowed. I mean, it's just it's jiggle city. Um, so if that's your thing, that this is you know what this game is. I mean, and if it's not your thing, then you probably have never checked into this game. Um, I'm not usually one that goes in for a lot of, you know, fan service, jiggle, TNA stuff. I'm not opposed to it, but it's not usually my jam, right? Like, I, I will not avoid a game, but I don't, like, actively seek it out. But I can't remember how I got onto the series. I mean, I must have checked it out just to see what it was all about at some point. And I was really impressed by the writing. And the writing over the this the length of the series, I think there's like four or five games total that have been brought to America. Uh, they've all been really, really good. And it's, it's mind-blowing because... You know, you think it's just TNA, you just want to see a bunch of boobs. The girls kind of get naked when they transform. It's almost like a Sailor Moon kind of transformation where they activate their ninja powers and then they spin around in the sky, get all naked for a second, and then they change their clothes or whatever. (laughs) You would think that's all this game is about. And by all rights, it should be. But the writers take so much time with each character. Each character is totally distinct and memorable. They have their personality quirks, their... Uh, just really fun to kind of hang out with. And the stories in each game have been really, really good. 
the the story in the game previous to this was very touching and it really stuck with me. And there was actually a couple moments in this one that I was like, oh my God, like this is like really like emotional. Like it's really powerful. I mean, even though there's boobs flying all over the place and, you know, booty shots and everything, like it's, it's wall to wall skin. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to say that it's not. I mean, it certainly is, but it is also exceedingly well-written and I'm just, I'm so impressed. Um, the reason I bring this up is because there is a new Senran Kagura coming up, which is called Peach Beach Blast, which is kind of like a Splatoon kind of spinoff. Instead of doing uh, Dynasty Warriors-style action as these games usually do, it's more of a every girl's got like a water gun of some sort, and then you run around basically like Splatoon, kind of like team shooting. Uh, it's a big departure for the series. I'm looking forward to trying that out. I haven't had a chance to try it yet, but I will crack into it at some point. But I wanted to finish off Estival Versus first because I hadn't uh, completed it. I spent a lot of time doing side missions. I got sidetracked and I just, I never got around to finishing it. And I know that these stories are really good. So I'm like, you know, I got to finish this story. I got to come back to it. So I busted out the Vita. Love the Vita. Vita's amazing. Busted out the Vita, finished off the story mode, completed it. And I just was really, really impressed. I mean, it just blows me away that... These, these stories are so good. And I know a lot of people just dismiss them out of hand because it's it's hard not to when you see, like, the amount of boobs bouncing in any <laughs> screenshot and, like, how ridiculously endowed they are. I mean, it's, it's absurd. It's really absurd. Um, not that it's bad, but it's not for everybody. Uh, but just, like, I just... It's, it's amazing. They take so much time, so much care. And the stuff they come up with is just so well-written. I was just really genuinely touched at certain points, and I just really um, appreciate the lengths they go to to make this a game worth playing for reasons other than the jiggle. So um, it's not going to win over people who are uh, allergic to that sort of thing. And I'm not trying to sell this on anybody who who does not like that. But if you are not opposed to it or if you're looking for something that tells a really good visual novel type story in addition to providing really great fast action, in addition to having tons of female flesh, if that's something that you're into... Um, I, I dig the series, man. I dig the series a lot. I like this, uh, this game. Senran Kagura, Estival Versus is fantastic. Uh, Shinobi Versus is the one before. That one is fantastic as well. And I'm really excited about Peach Beach Blast. Uh, have not, like I said, haven't played it, but it's coming up very soon. In fact, I think it may be already out by now. So if you are up for this sort of thing, interested in this sort of thing, you have at least two outstanding titles to choose from. I'm hoping Peach Beach is just as good. But we will touch in about that at some point in the future once I've had a chance to play it. You've never played any of these, have you, Corey? No, I haven't. But I do. I have a hot take, a topical hot take question for you about this right now. Absolutely. Those are my favorite. All right. All right. This is this is good. Actually, it's not going to be that good, but I think it's good. Um, so you said that the new Peach Beach one is a lot like Splatoon. Do you think Nintendo is going to try to sue Splatoon or sue the people making this game sort of like how Player Unknown Battlegrounds is doing the Fortnite thing cuz we just talked about this last week. Do you know what's going on with this, Brad? Oh yeah, I've heard about it. Do you want to give a quick wrap up or did you want me to fill people in? Uh yeah, I'll go ahead and do it real quick. Um go for so it. last week on the show, uh Brad talked about how Fortnite added a uh 
a game mode that is very different from Fortnite's normal game modes, and it very much makes it like player. How, what is it called? Player unknown. What's it called? Player unknown battlegrounds. We can call it PUBG. Everybody calls it PUBG. Okay, okay. I can never remember. For some reason, I always want to say like players unknown or player unknowns, it's a, and like it's a put an extra name. S in there. Yeah, it it's so stupid. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Basically, like the developers of Battlegrounds got in like got like heated about the fact that fortnite like made a game mode similar to their game mode and so like the player unknown people are being all like high and mighty and we're like threatening like legal action against the fortnite developers as if like they own a game mode and like have copywritten this game mode which is not a thing that exists so whenever you were describing uh, the peach beach thing i was like oh it sounds like splatoon i wonder if nintendo is gonna gonna follow suit and act like they're gonna like sue them or something over this game mode because apparently that's like the new hotness right now is pretending like even though you're ripping off another game's idea that you suddenly own it and can copyright it because it happened to get popular by chance and now you act like you are god's gift to video games um that's an interesting thing let's let's diverge and talk about that for just a second so uh i problematic from all sides i think it's really interesting that the uh the player unknown i think that's the name of the guy who's created it i don't know for sure i'm pretty sure his like his his game name is like player unknown and he has created battlegrounds which is why it's called that um i think it's interesting that he thinks he owns that because number one the shit that he created is a direct ripoff of the hunger games so if anybody owns this shit it's fucking suzanne collins because what he did is a straight lift everything about it exactly the same as the hunger games he didn't come up with this fucking idea i don't care what he says (laughs) he maybe created this but he didn't i mean he created it in a video game form but this idea is blatantly taken from the hunger games uh you know maybe possibly also taken from uh battle royale that same movie i don't know which one came first whether it was hunger games or battle royale but either way he is not the guy who came up with this fucking idea also many people have said that he has taken this you know battlegrounds and just made that out of forms of other modes that have been built on the same engine of the engine that he's using. Uh, I think they said it was, oh, was it, was it Daisy? I think it was, or Arma. I it was. Oh, I think, yeah, he was copying a mode from Daisy, but he made it through like an Arma two mod, I think. I, yeah, I get confused. I don't, I don't dabble in those worlds, but I, you know, I just, I hear about them and I pick up little things here and there and people are kind of talking about this now, but regardless, it's not like he created this shit from scratch. I mean, it's it's like an engine he's using from somebody else. It's similar to another mode that's been in another game. The inspiration is obviously lifted from books and movies. So whatever. Like, you know, you don't own this thing. And obviously he thinks that what Fortnite did is a little too close to what he has put out. Now, granted, um, I've watched a lot of videos of PUBG. I have not played it, but I've watched some videos. And the thing that Fortnite put out is extremely similar. I mean, it, it's basically the same mode, just with a little bit of differences when you take into account that Fortnite includes features that um, that PUBG does not have. But for all intents and purposes, it's basically beating PUBG to the console world. Um, they're not set to launch uh, with Battlegrounds until the end of the year or maybe the beginning of 2018. And they're only going to be hitting Xbox One at the beginning, I think. They have taken their sweet time. In, I mean, well, number one, the game's not even fucking finished. So, like, it's like it's still in early access. <laughs> so, what are you going to talk about? Like, your game's not even done. How are you going to How are you going to sue somebody else for a game that they uh, just put out? So, I mean, although to be fair, Fortnite's in early access too. So, whatever. But 
Uh, it just seems like a mess, and I get that people don't want their shit lifted, and nobody wants to be a thief, and no one wants to have their stuff stolen. I get that, but I think there's a lot of influences floating around here, and I don't think anybody, you know, like I said, except for Suzanne Collins, really has a good claim to what's going on in these games. I mean, maybe it's a little too close for comfort, uh, but at the same time, Fortnite kind of called them out and said, hey, we really dig PUBG, we think it's awesome, and this is kind of what our take on it, so... And they're not shy about it. It's not like they're trying to make it a secret. So, I mean, I don't know. I guess this is one for the courts to sort out. Although, who knows how effective that's going to be since judges typically don't know shit about video games. But, uh, yeah, interesting, interesting times. Interesting times. And how this relates to Peach Beach, um, I have not played it yet, so I can't say how close it is to Splatoon. But I'm guessing it's not that close. I mean, from what I can tell, it's more of a PvP, straight PvP thing. And I don't think you're actually painting territory um, there are squids in Peach Beach, but it's not like you're a squid kid, so it's slightly different. And, of course, I mean, the demographic is totally different. I don't think anybody's who's playing, um, Splatoon... Well, okay, that's not true. I'm sure there's some crossover, <laughs> but I think that there's a larger number of people who are not going to be crossing over, so I don't think there will be any, uh, theft of player base or anything like that. So, I think Nintendo's probably going to let it slide. I hope so. I think... Uh, I mean, I don't, I honestly don't think Nintendo would take legal action. I just wanted to be a jerk and, you know, bring up topical information and try to be cool and act like I'm in the know here. And you did right on <laughs> win one for Corey. Uh, anyway, so that's all I have to say on Senron Kagura Estival versus, I think it's a great game. I think it's really, really good. If you look past the boobs, there's a really great story underneath it. Uh, and the other one for Vita, Shinobi Versus, is fabulous as well. So check out those, and I'm going to check out Peach Beach, and we'll talk about that later. Um, next piece of wrap-up, really quickly, is for Exmorph Defense, which I talked about last episode. Uh, for those people who don't recall or did not listen, this is an active tower defense game where you play an alien invading Earth. You're like a little uh, drone, and you protect your base. You fly around. You can transform into different modes. And you, you know, like most tower defense games, enemies will come in waves. They try to take over your base. You got to push them back through any means necessary. I went, I talked about it at length in the last episode. I'm not going to get into it too much now, but I did finish it since the last time we talked. And I got to say, this game is amazing. Really, really good. Fantastic. I had no criticisms of it last time. I still have no criticisms of it now. I think it's probably one of the finest tower defense games I've ever played. Uh, sterling example of the, of the genre. And I would definitely recommend it to anybody. So in case anybody is wondering if it like got really bad at the end or if anything happened or or what my final take on it was, uh, my official text review is up at Game Critics. I gave it a very good score. And I got to say, these guys, uh, I think it's XOR Studios. Man, they had their shit nailed down tight. This is a really good game. <laughs> I enjoyed it from start to finish. I couldn't stop playing it. And I, I just think everything about it was fan fantastic absolute recommendation for Xmorph defense despite the super generic title and the really like 90s style screenshots they've been putting up this game don't be fooled this game is the business uh Corey, you <laughs> have not played this since we talked have you i have not played this since we talked you don't do tower defense do you or do you i i actually i don't think i've ever really played tower defense but i don't think it would be my thing okay um, I, I don't know. We should probably hook up with a tower defense game and find out. Maybe. We will do that on a future episode. <laughs> uh, I'm going to keep, uh, talking. I know people are thinking, Hey, isn't it Corey's turn? It ordinarily would be, but I've played a shitload of games this week and we're going to have Corey 
carrying a heavier load at the end of the program, so I'm going to keep trucking. Uh, please don't think I'm, I'm uh, stifling Corey's turn here. <laughs> uh, talking really briefly about Jetamero, Hero of the Universe. Have you ever heard of this game, Corey? I have no fucking clue what this is. I didn't have any clue either until PR emailed me about it. Apparently, Jetamero is a successful Kickstarter. Um, I don't remember how much they were asking for, but I remember it was not very much. So it's either a one-person team or a small, small studio who put this out. Successful Kickstarter, hit PC. They're bringing it to Xbox One, which is where I played it. Basically, it's a little hard to describe this game, but basically you play as a really big awkward red robot he wakes up in deep space and he doesn't know who he is why he's a robot what's going on where he's at and so he decides to figure that out and he can fly through space and he flies to the nearest planet and then like touches down and uh the whole game is basically that like you fly around in space land on a planet and planets are very small like if you Corey, you've played um super mario galaxy right i actually have not but you you know you know of it, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so like you you must have seen pictures where like Mario's on a planet and he's like running like around the planet where <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, it's like 20 steps and he like, you know, circles the whole globe, right? <laughs> yeah. So this is exactly like that. The planets in Jetamero are tiny. They're you land on a planet, you can circle the entire planet in like 15 seconds or something like that. They're very small planets. So you land. He's very goofy. I'm almost guessing that his legs, his footsteps are, like, procedurally generated because he just, like, stumbles all <laughs> over the place. No, I'm, I'm being totally serious, too. Like, I think I think they do. It's it's kind of similar to um, the one game that uh, was put out by Ubisoft, Grow Up. Did you ever play Grow Up? I did. Or I played Grow Home, the first one, a little bit. Oh, Grow Home, yeah. Did you, did you like Grow Home or you didn't? Uh, I uh, was climbing a beanstalk really high in the air and fell, and I turned it off. Ah, uh, that is so such a good I, game. I did not like it. I thought it was not my thing. You're a cold and heartless monster. Grow Home is amazing. I love Grow Home. Anyway, Bud, who is the robot in Grow Home, had procedural footsteps where you would his feet would do these weird motions, like you push him in a direction, and then his feet would kind of figure out like where he was going, and there was no canned animation. It seems similar for this. I don't know why you would go to the trouble of doing that, and maybe it's not even, but it looks like that. So you stumble around as Jetamero. There are these little teeny buildings on every planet, and like it's impossible to not crash into them. Like he, he's so awkward and stumbly, and sometimes stuff like items you have to pick up are like in the middle of a like a teeny tiny little city. So you have to like crush buildings, and so he'll stumble around and be like, "Oh, sorry, sorry, excuse me, sorry," but nothing really happens. I mean, like you know, there's no gore or anything. It's just like these buildings crumble, and he just goes about his business. And you fly to the next planet, search for some more items. It's just, like, usually fuel to help him fly through the space, or he'll find, like, little extra parts for his robot body. Just cosmetic. Nothing nothing that changes his gameplay. Every couple of planets, he'll find a big boss, which looks like a big rubber monster from, like, the 60s or 70s, the kind of thing that you would see in uh, Ultraman or Godzilla, or maybe even, like, Power Rangers for a more recent reference. Like, whenever the stupid big weird monster would show up in any episode of Power Rangers. Like, it looks like that. And you just, you fight, you do these little quick time events. You do shoot your I-beams at this monster. You kill him in, like, ten seconds or something. And then uh, he gets a little bit of his past. And so, over the course of 
nine solar systems. He figures out what's going on, figures out who he is, and then that's it. You like you keep playing the game. Like there's nothing else really to it. I mean, it's interesting because I think the visual style of this game is very attractive. The colors are very bright. The art style is very neat. I like the way that Jet Amaro looks. I like the way the space looks. I mean, it's very attractive and appealing. And that's really what sold me on accepting the review in the first place. I was going to originally say no. But once I started watching um, a YouTube video, I'm like, oh, you know, this looks pretty cool. I really dig the, the style. I'm, oh, yeah, sure. I'll give it a try. Don't be fooled by appearances because there's not really much to this game past appearances. I mean, apparently everything in the game is procedurally generated, which kind of shows because every solar system you get to is just like every other one. I mean, the colors are slightly different. You'll see a green sun instead of a red sun or something, but like they're effectively the exact same. Every planet you go to, you know, one cluster of buildings will be slightly different from another cluster of buildings, but they're basically the same. There's no effective difference. And every bossy fight is basically just like the last one. They look a little different, but that's about it. It doesn't really change. So you're basically doing like like a solid five minutes of gameplay over and over and over and over and over for like four hours or however long it takes you to get to the end of the end of the content. And while the story is it's I mean, it's predictable. It's not anything special. It had potential to really be something nice. It doesn't really go anywhere past what you'd expect. And I finished the game or I guess quote unquote finished it because once I got to the end, it was like, is there any more? Is this it? Is it over? I mean, no credits rolled, but it seemed like it was going to just continue forever. And since it's procedurally generated, I think it very well could have. So I just turned it off. I didn't think there was any more to it. Um, just really disappointing. Just kind of like I just got to the end and it just kind of I don't know, it was just like nothing happened and I left without any feeling of closure, without any satisfaction of anything that I had just done. It seems just really like uh, an idea that was not taken to fruition. It seems like a very good start. Robot's cool. Good idea about flying through the universe. I'm always up for uncovering a good backstory, but that's, that's, there just wasn't enough to the game. Like After you've played it for five minutes, you've seen everything there was, and then you're just repeating that until you don't want to play anymore. And like, that's really all it is. So really, really disappointed in this one. I gave it one of my lowest scores of the year because yeah, I had to, because I was just really bored and it just felt like it's like, it's like a quarter of a game. I kept waiting for something else. I kept waiting for, uh, I don't know, characters to talk to or side quests to take on or some reason to not destroy these cities or some little neat twist at the end that would kind of recontextualize things or, but nothing like it just it just seems like a really good idea. And this dude or this small team or whatever made the beginnings of it and then just didn't make any more like there's just there's just not enough to it. It's just not enough of a game there. So overall, pretty disappointing, despite really cool screenshots and a really neat trailer on YouTube. So um, you haven't heard of this. and I'm guessing after I've talked about it, you're probably not going to check it out. Uh, probably not. It sounds like it pretty much sounds like no man's sky to me, like minus the boss fights, like the way, I mean, obviously you're not like a robot discovering your past in no man's sky, but that's basically like you fly to one procedurally generated world, you fly to the next one, you fly to the next one. That's like a big thing of no man's sky. So it seems like if you took no man's sky and like grow home and maybe like 
the Octodad games and like mush them together, <laughs> then like that's what this is. That's actually a pretty good comparison. I think uh, Corey's comparison and, you know, those are capital C's there, just so you know. <laughs> Corey's comparison is actually right on the money because that's kind of what it is like and it seems like it's got a good vibe like I don't I didn't dislike it like I think I really would have been on board for this if there was more to it but yeah it's just like you fly from planet to planet all the planets are exactly the same everything you do is exactly the same like there's just no variation no depth no nuance and like you know after you've seen I think it's like nine pieces of his backstory there's just like literally nothing left to the game so uh I mean don't want to hate on it but it just feels like it's just not finished there's just not enough here so i can't cannot sign off on it cannot recommend it but i do think they're on the right track give it another year which it's apparently not getting because it's a done game for sale (laughs) uh yeah it would have been something cool in another year if they had kept working on it but no it's just it's just it's like a, a cocktail napkin with an idea sketched on it and then they're charging people money for it so i cannot sign off on jetamero hero of the universe on xbox one Uh, One more quick thing from me, and then we will uh, get to our other segment. Started playing SteamWorld Dig 2 yesterday. Corey, have you played any of the SteamWorld Dig games, or do you know anything about them? I don't even know what these games are. Have you ever heard of them? No. Oh, my gosh, man. Okay. So SteamWorld is a series of games put out by Image and Form, and they are from, I want to say Sweden. I could be mistaken, but they're like in that part of the world somewhere. Um, Very nice guys. I've met some of the developers. Wonderful people. Very friendly. I love those guys very much. Uh, They put out SteamWorld Dig, SteamWorld Heist, and now SteamWorld Dig 2. They've also put out a couple games, I think, that were on the DS a while ago. But nobody really knows about those. They didn't really go anywhere. They didn't get a lot of press. They just kind of like popped up on whatever passed for the eShop back then and quietly vanished or something. I think like one was a tower defense game, I think. But SteamWorld Dig is where they really came into their own. What they're doing is they're basically creating this. I don't want to say it's a persistent universe, but it's like a universe of robots that are all steam bots. And so in this universe... It's just kind of accepted that, like, there's common themes that run throughout all the games. Like, the visual style is very similar. Uh, the design of the society is very similar. Um, there's there's common elements. But basically, in any one of their games, you're playing like a Steambot. In Steambot Dig, the first one, you inherited a mine. And so you were digging down to the bottom of the mine. There was something special down there. And so the whole game was, like, you digging, finding gems, bringing them back to the surface, selling them, getting upgrades, digging further down. Sounds really simple. Maybe even sounds boring, but it's really fun. I really love SteamWorld Dig a lot. I thought it was an excellent game. And it's available, I think, on PS4 for like something ridiculous like two bucks or something. It's totally worth it. Super worth it. Love SteamWorld Dig. SteamWorld Heist, same universe with the robots, but this was like a 2D turn-based strategic shooter. So totally different genre, even though it was set in the same kind of universe. Also excellent. Really, really good. I have played very few side on 2d tactical games I, those are just not really things that people make but they did a great job really love steamworld heist and now i'm playing steamworld dig 2 uh you play i think it's like you're the niece of the character from the first steamworld dig apparently he's vanished and you're trying to find out what happened to him same basic premise you are you start off in a town of steambots which is perched above a mine. You can dig down into the mine. There's different sections of the mine. There's like little caves you can find. You collect gems, bring them back to the surface, get some upgrades, dig a little deeper. 
Um, it seems like a very similar formula, similar to the first game, and it is, but it's just really well done. Um, everything that Image and Form does is really polished. They really are able to find the fun in all of their games, and they just make them just so approachable and accessible. Uh, and, and they just really just, they have their heads on straight. Like, these guys have not made a bad game. I mean, they're one of the very few studios that I would say has never made a bad game because they just, they practice what they do. They really think about it. They're very careful in their design. Everything is very well considered. So it's just, it's like totally playable. I mean, you just, you start digging down in the mine and you, you know, unlock some stuff, you keep going. I mean, just everything about the game just wants you to keep playing. Like it's, it's one of those, like it's, you sit down and before you know it, like four hours have gone by and you're like, oh my God, like I didn't realize I've been playing this for four <laughs> hours, you know? Um, so I really like it a lot. I, I'm not very far in. Like I said, I only started it yesterday and I've been playing it a couple hours yesterday, a couple hours today, but I really like it a lot. Totally recommend SteamWorld Dig 2. Recommend all the SteamWorld games. And uh, I think they're all available on PS4. I think they're on all consoles, actually. And SteamWorld Dig 2 is also available on Switch. So uh, I will talk more about this as I get further in. But so far, it seems like another fantastic game from Image and Form. Uh, Corey, any interest in uh, digging deep into a mine, finding gems, being a Steam bot, <laughs> anything like that? Uh, I don't think so. I've got to be honest. I, I trust your judgment that this game is like cute and well produced, but it doesn't really seem like my kind of thing. Well, if you ever see it on sale or something, give it a shot. Cause these games, they may, they have a certain look to them and maybe not everybody likes that look, or maybe it seems like it might be kind of boring, but man, these guys really, really dial in the fun. These guys really know what they're doing and, uh, everything they've played. It's just been it's playable as hell, dude. So <laughs> You see it for a couple bucks or something, give it a shot, see what you think. But uh, so far, initial thoughts on SteamWorld Dig 2 are excellent, which is no surprise. And I would definitely, uh, based on what I've seen so far, recommend it to fans of SteamWorld. I don't think you can go wrong with this. So those are the games we're going to cover, but we do have one more segment this week. Corey, uh, I'm going to turn it back over to you, sir. All right. Um, over the weekend, uh, I believe starting yesterday, which by the time you listen to this, that won't even make uh sense or a difference to be honest um brad was bored on twitter and decided to kick off a hashtag called game confessions hashtag game confessions uh the response was pretty great there were a lot of juicy bits that people shared uh brad what was the confession that you used to start things off uh, well, my son has uh, PS Now. I think we've talked about it on the show before. That's the the streaming service for PS4 where you have access to like a shitload of games. You can just jump in and play whatever you want. For whatever reason, he picked Spelunky. I don't know why he picked that, uh, but he started playing Spelunky. And he actually really likes it a lot, which is cool. But it just reminded me that Spelunky, I mean, everybody in the world like loved Spelunky so hard a couple years ago. Do you remember that when like everybody wouldn't shut up about Spelunky? Yeah, wasn't, uh, who was it? Was it Dan Weissenberger, where it was literally, like, his game of the year every single year on the Game Critics podcast because it had been released on, like, a new console, like, four years in a row or something oh like that? Oh, my God. Yes, yes. It was, like, literally game of the year four <laughs> fucking years in a row. And he was, like, the third best player on Earth, I believe. I mean, he was, like, in the top five of, like, all of the planet when he came to Spelunky. He was a madman with that game. So, like, we couldn't stop hearing about it on the Game Critics podcast, which was running back then. <laughs> Everybody on Twitter fucking just Spelunky 24-7. Like, this constant barrage of just, like, Spelunky talk all the time. I really wanted to get into it because that seems like my kind of jam. I like the roguelikes. I like the, the harder games sometimes. 
I like, you know, platformers. I mean, everything about this seemed like it was my thing. But my confession uh, was that I didn't like the art style. I hated the art style of the new version of Spelunky. And because I didn't like the art style, I just never fucking played it. Like, it was like the critical darling. It was the game that you needed to play if you were anybody, you know, that year when it came out. I mean, it was what everybody was talking about. And thematically, it should have been something that I liked. But my, my, my confession was, I couldn't get past the fucking art. I hate the art. I hate the way it looks. The characters have these big fucking stupid heads and these big fucking noses. And I just, I hate the way it looks. Which is ironic because the original version of Spelunky has like uh, pixel style graphics. And I think the pixel art looks way more appealing and uh, way more attractive to me. I mean, maybe that's a taste thing. I fucking can't stand um, the character. So that was my confession. I hate to sound so shallow, uh, but that was, it's true. I just, I, I couldn't get into it. I just couldn't get past the art. Um, something else that I confessed uh, was that I really wanted to experience the strategy in Mario plus Rabbids, which is on the Switch. But I fucking hate Rabbids. Rabbids f- suck. They, they look stupid. <laughs> They act stupid. I don't like them. I think they're stupid characters and they're garbage. And I just, I can't get past it. I, I just, I'm going to choose to not play Mario and Rabbids because I don't like Rabbids. It just, it sucks. I fucking, they, they're dumb. I hate them. I hate them. So those are the ones that I kind of kicked off that thread with. Um, you must have some confessions as well, Corey. I know that you, you chipped in a couple that day, but have you, uh, have you got any deep, dark secrets you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I was thinking about it. Like, whenever I saw people tweeting things, I was thinking about it. And, um, uh, like, over time, I realized that I didn't really have a whole lot of valuable things to say because a very popular... And, like, I don't know if this is super annoying or not. Like, it was kind of interesting at first, and then it got old kind of quickly. Um, for me, anyway, thing that happened with this with this hashtag is that, like, basically, people took it upon themselves to either be, like oh, I don't like this well-reviewed game or the opposite. They'd be, it'd be like a, like a game that's not very well-reviewed or that like nobody talks about. They'd be like, this is actually one of my favorite games. And like, I get that like, that's a confession, but like, or that like those are confessions, but like, they're not very like original or not very like interesting to me. And I don't want to sound like I'm like up on my like gaming high horse, but it's like, like if your confession is like, oh, I don't like Halo. It's like, okay, well, like, good for you. Like, do you want me to clap for you? Like, I don't know. I just feel like those kind of confessions aren't so much confessions as they are people trying to, like, stir the pot and be annoying. Um, And so, but that was my initial thought, to just, like, think of, like, a game that maybe, like, nobody talks about that I like or maybe a game that's, like, really well-reviewed that I'm not into, but I didn't really want to fall into that trap. So I started trying to think of, like, a couple of different things. And... I really only have a few that I can think of right now. If I had, like, really, really, really thought about this earlier, I would have. But I've been, uh, like I described earlier in the show, very busy today. Um, And I slept a lot yesterday. I know I didn't talk about that earlier. But I slept for, like, 13 hours last night. It was ridiculous. So I did not dream about this topic, unfortunately. Or maybe I'd have some more. But the few things that I came up with are... Um, I have a few examples of games that I have purchased multiple times that I don't even really have, like, a lot of rationale about. And some of them are... um, uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution, um, I have actually purchased that game three times. I bought the Augmented Edition whenever it came out, and then I bought the Director's Cut Edition whenever it came out. I actually went because the Director's Edition was, or the Director's Cut Edition was so hard to get a hold of, I had to go to like five stores to find it. 
And I bought the director's cut again because whenever Patrick bought a Wii U, or I guess I bought him a Wii U for Christmas like several years ago, um, I bought that game again to go on Wii U. Um, I own uh, Hitman 2 and 3, I think, three times. Um, I own the first Mirror's Edge twice. I don't know if these are interesting uh, topics, but the other one that I thought of that I wish I would have looked up the hard data for it, but I haven't, um, is that Resident Evil 5, which is sometimes considered great or terrible, depending on who you are. um, I own Resident Evil 5 on 360 is the first place I owned it. I own it on PlayStation 3, and I own the quote-unquote HD version on uh, the PlayStation 4. I think among those three copies, I want to say I have played Resident Evil 5 for, like, more than, like, 300 hours, which seems just ridiculous for Resident Evil 5, because I'm pretty sure the campaign can be finished in, like, 10 hours, maybe, but... I want to say it's been like several hundred hours that I've played those games. Um, but that, those that are, does seem really excessive. That yeah, seems it like is a, that excessive. Seems like a lot. It is a lot. But I really, really love that game when it came out. And I played through the campaign several times. I played through Mercenaries a lot. And then when I bought it on PlayStation 3, I played through it with uh, my friend Parker from uh, Salt Lake City. Like I basically bought it specifically so that he and I could play it together because he was on a PlayStation 3 gamer at the time. Um, And then I bought it on a sale on the PlayStation 4, I think. Because, I mean, it's obvious. I shouldn't have to say this, but I love Resident Evil 5. I think it's great. Um, And I played the shit out of it on uh, on PlayStation 4. So several hundred hours in Resident Evil 5 and other games that I have bought several times over. Um, Those probably aren't that interesting, but those are really, like, the best ones I can think of for myself that aren't just, like, oh, I don't like this popular game, or, oh, I love this game that is not popular. Um, So that's really, I think, the best I can think of right now. So you are a compulsive game rebuyer. How many games do you buy multiple copies of? Is it only, you don't buy multiple copies of every game, I don't imagine. Oh, no, definitely not. Um, I mean, I, I have some reasons for them. Like Mirror's Edge, I bought it on PlayStation 3, and then I actually let somebody borrow it, and then they never gave it back. And I didn't, like, need it back, so I wasn't, like, bugging them for it or anything. And then I moved uh, halfway across the country, so my odds of getting it back are not good at all. So I ended up buying it on a different platform because it was on sale. Um, Hitman, for example, like Hitman 2 and 3. I had owned Hitman 2 and 3 on the Xbox. And then I bought a play or a PC copy, actually, that had one two and three all packed in together and then i bought the hd collection which has two three and four packed in together so that's why i own those games a few times over um those are just i guess some of the examples but i don't ordinarily buy one game several times i could pretend like i'm one of those guys who like really wants to like help out the developer and publisher and like you know buy two copies and you know really support them but it's really that's not the case at all here Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I had one more um, confession that I would like to share uh, that I did not share in the in the the, the Twitter feed. But, um, you know, as the editor of Game Critics, I get a lot of email every day. Like my the amount of email I get every day is ridiculous. I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty unmanageable at times. And we cover as many games as we can uh, with the staff that we have at Game Critics. I think we do really well. I'm really proud of our output. I think we do a great job. But, you know, regardless of how many people we have writing and how many people we get reviewing, 
we, we can't cover everything. We just can't. And the demand for us to run stories or run news pieces or run PR pieces is just, it's, it's ridiculous. I get so many, I just, it's, it's, it's stupid. So, you know, an editorial confession that I have is like whenever somebody emails me about an alpha or a beta or an early access, I just fucking delete it. I don't even read it <laughs> because like, there's just too many, like there's too many. And it's like, why should I waste a writer's time? Why should I waste my time? Why should I waste the bandwidth on the site for a game? Like number, like an alpha, get the fuck out of here. Like, what do you mean an alpha or a beta? Like, dude, finish your fucking games and then come talk to me. And like, you know, early access, maybe if you're really close to like release, but if like, you just got a couple things put together and you just want some people beta testing, you just want to generate some inf- like, you know, eyeballs, like forget it, man. I got so many fucking finished games. I can't cover. There's no way I'm going to cover your fucking alpha. I mean, like, like what's, you know, like, stop sending me your cocktail napkins with a couple scribbles and saying, you want to write a news story about it. Like it's ridiculous. So maybe these other larger sites who have like a thousand freelancers can you know spend the resources to get those things covered and whatever but it's like man i just don't even don't even don't even accept me with this stuff because it's it's stupid so <laughs> my confession alpha beta early access i fucking delete those like out of hand i got and even 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 deleting those i still get more email than i can even fucking handle that's how busy it is so anyway enough about me enough about you Corey. Why don't we read a couple that we had on Twitter? I, I, I scrolled through the, the list and we selected a couple here. Let's let's share some of the deep, dark secrets uh, for people who may not have been watching the hashtag that day. How about you? Uh, how about you start us off? All right. I would love to. Uh, the first one is I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and apologize because I'm going to butcher every name I have to read. So let's just get that out of the way first. Um, the first one is Vincent Gunier. I Do you know how to pronounce that, Brad? That sounds like a good guess to me. All right. Vincent, uh, I'm just going to say Ganir. It's G-A-N-I-R. And Vincent has never finished a 3D Mario game. So that's kind of a confession. Have you you ever finished a 3D Mario yourself, Corey? Uh, Yeah, I finished uh, Super Mario 64 on the Nintendo 64, but I think that's the only one that I finished. That is a pretty bold confession, though, because anybody in gaming circles, I mean, Mario is something that I think most people play. And if, I mean, I'm trying to think of people who, like, don't play Mario. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple of people out there. But, like, I mean, everybody plays Mario. It's pretty rare you come across somebody who doesn't play those. And to not finish one, eh, that's, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good confession to me. I think that's a pretty good confession. Thanks for being brave, Vincent. I appreciate your, your bravery. Um, next one comes from Michael Prane, P-R-E-H-N. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Uh, who I know as my Warframe guy. Um, this is, okay, <laughs> side, side note, side note. Uh, I know that you and I talked, we played Warframe, like, on one of the earliest episodes of the show, uh, a while ago, a while ago, and I don't, I mean, we were both kind of like, eh, it's okay, and then we kind of just dropped it and never came back to it, right? Right. Okay, so, I have, like, downloaded and deleted it, like, a dozen times, like, since then, <laughs> like, because I look at this fucking game, and I'm like, this seems like my jam, like, it seems like I should be playing this game, it's, I like the way it looks, I like the design, I, it seems like something that would be up my alley. And I just, I never like it when I play. I just don't like it. But I seem like I come back to it, right? So my good uh, friends over uh, at the Twin Humanities podcast, Patty and CJ. Uh, hello, guys, if you're listening. Love you guys. Uh, they just recently got into Warframe. And they were just, like, loving it. They did this podcast about it. They've done a couple episodes on it so far. And they just got me hyped up for it again. And I was like, God damn it. They're drawing me back into it. And I don't <laughs> think I like this game, but they're they're getting me excited about it. 
So uh, one of the guys that I think it's one of the guys that they know, this is Michael Prane, and he apparently is like a Warframe expert and he has offered to be my Sherpa for uh, getting through Warframe. I plan to take him up on it when I get some time. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get any further than I've gotten in the past, (laughs) but I figure if I sit down and play with someone who knows exactly what they're doing and can help me get through the beginning phases, because man, that is... I mean, I don't know if you remember or not, but I I was really overwhelmed. I felt like there was a lot to get through, and I was really confused about a lot of part, part a lot of parts of it. And I just I couldn't I just couldn't find a grip. I couldn't get a toehold in that game. Was that was that how you uh, fell off with it too? Yeah, it just I mean I'm kind of in the same boat. Like it seems like a game that should be my jam. I mean it's like third person, like almost kind of hack and slashy uh, action <laughs> with like procedurally generated levels and. Yeah, I just remember it being... Because, I mean, it's a free-to-play, and you and I have talked about free-to-play games. It is like a free-to-play-ass, free-to-play game where you you get that free-to-play game menu that's like, here's your fucking character and your 6,000 pieces of armor you can put on, and here's the Marketplace 1 menu with this stuff you can buy with this currency, and here's this other Marketplace menu, and here's a Special Powers menu, and here's, like, all this other shit, and it's just, like... It is that kind of game, and it's just a lot. It's it's too much, too soon, and I could not wade through all of that business to like keep playing it. Yeah, I agree. I think I feel like that was really my problem. I mean, I think my other problem too was that I get overwhelmed and I bail, and when I come back to it, I want to do the tutorial again. And I mean, maybe there's a way to replay the tutorial, but I couldn't find it if there was, and so without being able to play the tutorial again, I'm like, oh my god, I don't remember anything about what's going on. I don't remember <laughs> what all the shit is. I want to just delete my character and start over, but because it's run on servers um, at the developer's place, you can't you can't delete your shit. I mean, unless you start like a whole new like PSN profile, it just it just kicks you back into the profile you've already started, which is not good because I just want to start over. And I I think that's a big barrier for me. So I think I need to just get this guy Michael, uh, who is um, gave us one of his uh, confessions here, to walk me through it, get me off on the good foot. <laughs> I can help try to figure this out, and then I'll probably just decide that I don't like this game at all. I'll delete it again. <laughs> download it again in six months and i'll just go the whole fucking cycle i just can't quit this fucking game i can't quit it it's weird i don't think i like it but i can't stop downloading it so anyway there's our little uh warframe divergence michael uh says i watched the last mission of metal gear solid revengeance on youtube about once a week since november so that's kind of a weird confession did this you play Revengeance? Really, this is a good. I like this confession a lot because it's weird and it's different and it's something that I wouldn't expect. Have you? Did you play Revengeance? Uh, unfortunately, yes, I did. <laughs> I fucking hate that game. I hate that game a lot. I don't know what's in the last mission, but now that he's confessed to watching it once a week, I think I'm going to go and watch the last mission. <laughs> uh, what's the next one, Corey? Uh, the next one is from Badger Commander. Good friend of the show, Badger Commander, uh, says, I enjoy playing Connect games. So this is one of the simpler ones that you said you didn't like. Do you not like this one? Well, okay, this is like, I'm okay with this one, but I have to ask myself, what Connect games are you playing? Because, like, uh, like, are there, is he playing, like, the three connect games that are out there. I don't even know what all connect games are out there at this point. I don't know either. Maybe he's just playing the old ones. I, I, I literally have, we should follow up with badger commander and find out exactly which <laughs> connect games he's playing. Who knows? Maybe he just like, he likes initializing the system and like, you know, doing the calibration over and over and over. Like, I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> I mean, I have no clue. 
So we will follow Badger Commander if you're listening. Uh, please let us know which Kinect games you enjoy <laughs> playing. Although that is kind of an embarrassing uh, confession. So I, that's, a, that's a good one. Uh, next one comes from NES Frogman. Says, I rarely finish a game because I am terrified that the end will ruin my experience and memory of it. Which is interesting. That is an interesting thing. Do you ever feel that way, Corey? Do you ever not finish a game because like you don't want it to end or you don't want it to taint what you've what you've played so far? I do not experience this phenomenon, but I have seen several people talk about this, like where they play a game and if it's like any kind of game that has like padding in the middle, they will do absolutely as much padding as they possibly can to try to avoid the end of the game because they don't want to finish it. And I mean, I think it's pretty fascinating, but I can't I can't say that I've ever done this and I don't think I ever will because I mean, maybe I'm maybe this is being like insensitive or maybe old school about it, but like I just will play the game again if it's that good. Like, for example, like Deus Ex Human Revolution. I love that game. I was not afraid to finish it, and I've played it probably like 30 times because I love it. So I, I, uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe like replaying the game isn't good enough for people who experience this phenomenon, but I think it's definitely interesting. I'm fascinated by this one because I'm all about finishing games. I love, I, I love finishing games um, because I like to be done with games. I, I enjoy them. And then they're over. And I'm fine with that. Like, I kind of wonder, like, what is this psychological trigger? Because I've heard many people talk about this same phenomenon where they'll play a game, they will love a game, and then they will stop. And they just will not finish that game. (laughs) And it's weird because you stopped playing it, so you're not playing it anymore. So you have disconnected from that game. But there's some little mental, mental note in your head that says you could always come back to it. Which is weird because you can always come back to a game anyway. You can always start new, start a new character, start a new file, finish the game, start over. There's nothing saying you can't come back to that game, but there's something about that phenomena of I know for a fact that I haven't finished this game and therefore, therefore what? Like, therefore that game will last forever? Therefore you you never have to be sad that you've seen it all? I, I'm really fascinated by this. I really, uh, I would like to talk about this with somebody who who who, who does this this whole not finish a game because I don't want to get to the end and ruin my experience or memory of it. I find this utterly fascinating. I just, I need to get more information. I don't know what this is about, but it's such a common thing that it must, there must be something to it, you know? I think so. Cause it seems like it's, it's like one of those things, like one of those like social media phenomenons where like, you know, it's one of those things that maybe you do and you think you're the only person on the planet who does it. And then suddenly whenever somebody speaks up about doing that, there's like 10,000 other people that are like, oh, wow, I do that same thing. Like, I don't know. It seems like one of those kind of deals to me. That and every sexual fetish out on the Internet, for oh, sure. Geez. Absolutely. Boy, you can, you know, you can Google anything, dude. And there's people out there <laughs> that like what you like. That's amazing. So, yes, like a sexual fetish, I think maybe not finishing a game because you're scared of the ending similar thing similar thing maybe not too similar but similar thing what's what's the next one Corey? uh the next one is from sindar s-y-n-d-a-r-r says i have next to zero desire to play any sonic mega man mario or elder scrolls game and i'm guessing that sindar listed these off because they're like quote unquote maybe 
popular games. Although I think it's funny that he said next to Zero Desire and he put Mega Man in there because you know Mega Man. Uh, Cinder is a woman. I'm pretty sure. I'm oh, pretty sure Cinder is a woman. Uh, she put it in there. Um, excuse me on that, but uh, I think it's funny that she said Zero because Mega Man Zero is a game. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I don't really know what to say about this. Like this is kind of like I don't want to be like an asshole, but this is kind of one of those confessions where I'm just like, okay, like cool like all right so you don't want to play these games like i don't really feel like that's like that like i don't know interesting or like scandalous of a confession but maybe that's just me being a jerk okay so this rates on the asshole scale core's asshole scale we're on we're on scale with this one okay oh. i want to make that make a, <laughs> make a note i think this was um an interesting one and i selected this one because not be i mean those the, the games that she listed off are all like you know big games like you said they're really popular games and I think that just by saying that you don't want to play any of those, I mean, I think you're making kind of a strong statement. I mean, it is a little bit of that whole, eh, I just don't like this, whatevs. But at the same time, I mean, I could see a lot of people challenging, like, are you even a gamer? How do you even, you know, it's a pretty big pot stir. So if that's a genuine uh, confession, I have no reason to believe that it's not. That to me is kind of a big one. So, so noted, Sindar, so noted. Uh, next one comes from Rocky Mountain Cyclops who says, in my wiser years, I rarely have the urge to play a video game on hard mode. Feeling this one so much. Feeling this one so much. I have never really been a person who ever played a game on hard, because why? <laughs> but in my, in, my, in my wiser years, I like that terminology, um, or my, my older years, my current years, uh, yeah, I never, I, I have zero fucking desire to play a game on hard. I just don't see the fucking point. I mean, if it's a game that requires technical mastery, like if it's the, the process of actually having the manual coordination to pull it off. I mean, if it's something that you really enjoy playing, I mean, maybe, or if it's like something that's like a mental challenge where you feel like it's like some kind of chess style, you know, mental processing and you really want to push yourself to the edge. I mean, I guess... But I don't go to games to, like, test myself or prove myself anymore. Like, I'm all about enjoying, having fun, having an experience that I wouldn't have in real life, uh, putting myself in someone else's shoes for a while, or being treated to some alien world, some strange fantasy vista. You know, it's more the experiential side of things rather than I want something really hard or something really taxing. Um, so I, I feel I feel Rocky Mountain Cyclops on this pretty hard. What about you, uh, Corey? Uh, yeah, I never, I like never play games on hard mode unless I just like really want to challenge myself. Like if I played a game like two times and then I like go in for a third play and I think, man, I really just want to like test myself on this, then maybe I'll like put it up to hard. But in general, my first time through a game, I put it on medium because generally medium is like the quote unquote, like normal difficulty level or like whatever the developer says is like, this is like the baseline normal difficulty level. I'll do that. But I am not afraid if the game allows you to pull the difficulty down mid game. I am all about if a game's hard, I will take it down to easy as quickly as I can. I don't have time for that bullshit, basically, of like difficult games for difficult sake. And uh, yeah, but I, I, I've never gone, I don't think I've ever put a game in and gone on hard mode like first, like ever. Usually it's medium for me first and uh easy quickly after that if it's uh too hard then right on right on uh let's hit the next one here sir 
Uh, this one is from Louis Fietro, whose name I probably am still pronouncing incorrectly, even though I've read it on air like 30 times. Um, <laughs> says, I love the short, linear shooters of the last generation, not their narrative content most of the time, but their simplicity and predictability. Did he follow up with any examples of what he meant, Brad? Do you know? I don't think so. I don't. Uh, I mean, I guess I could check, but I don't want to burn our airtime here. I don't think he did, though. <laughs> Otherwise, I would think I would have. I mean, maybe he did. There was a lot of there was a lot of tweets. But uh, how is this one without without an example? And he possibly gave one. Sorry, uh, Louis, if I didn't catch your example. Uh, how is this one rating for you? Is this uh, I is mean, this a, uh, this is like fine, I guess. I, I would have liked some examples because I don't know what like like what games he's talking about. Um, Cause like the first thing that popped in my head um, for like a short linear shooter, I or like kind of like a simple shooter. I thought about like, I don't know, maybe like GoldenEye or something. And then I was like, well shit, that's not last gen. That's like several <clears throat> generations ago. I mean, last gen would have been like Halo reach or um, gosh, like I don't even know what other shooters or like, the darkness or something um or like crisis and i mean i know those are all kind of like not simple shooters i just i'm interested in knowing what his idea of like a predictable simple shooter from last gen is yeah we should have gotten some more clarification on that sorry louis if i missed your other tweet or maybe you didn't give an example i'm not sure i didn't uh, see anything immediately but maybe i could have looked a little harder but i think that this confession is interesting because he knows what he likes and he's okay with that. And I think I, I kind of wonder in comparison with the rest of the review sphere, which I think that Louis is a part of, and he does some game reviews. Um, he's not like a hardcore reviewer, but he's in our same circles. And I think that maybe there's this constant, like keep up with the Joneses. What's the newest, what's the best, what's the biggest, what's the most innovative. So I think there's, there's definitely something confessional about saying, you know, I like an older style. I like something that's simpler. I like something that's predictable. I think they kind of, uh, puts you uh, in a little bit of opposition to a lot of like the zeitgeist. So that's an interesting, interesting confession. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Louis. Next one comes from William beans from the right stick podcast. Good old Willie beans. Uh, I am a fan of his show. Uh, I always listen to their first segment. I don't always listen to their main segment because they pick some stuff that I sometimes I think is really boring, but I love those guys a lot. <laughs> love their show. They have a really good rapport, actually. Uh, it's Doc Brown and Willie Beans. I don't know if you follow either of those guys on Twitter. Do you know either of those guys? Uh, I don't think so. Um, they're some pretty entertaining dudes, and their rapport on their podcast is really something else. They uh, crack me the fuck up and sometimes they pick some really boring topics and i listen anyway because their their jokes and stuff back and forth are really good um so i'm a fan of their show i dig their show uh willie bean says i have never played through the evil path in a game before hmm hmm how's this one rating for you uh i mean that's actually a pretty interesting one um one that i can partially relate to because anytime if I play a game that has like a sort of like a moral choice system, um, I always do the good path every time. Usually if I play the game a second time, I'll always do the evil path just to like see what like what happens. Um, you know, like Mass Effect, I was Paragon all the way through. And then my second playthrough of the trilogy, I did Renegade. And then um, actually my third playthrough of the trilogy, I did Renegade as well because I think Renegade is more fun in that game. Although I respect, you know, people who want to like, quote unquote, like do the right thing um, the whole game. Uh, 
but I, I mean, the first time I play through a game, I always do good. But if I do a second playthrough, I always do evil just to see how they contrast. But um, the fact that he's never, ever, like, tested the waters of evil path in a game, I think is interesting. Well, I have to say that I think I share this confession with him. Uh, you know, I just mentioned a little while ago that I almost, almost never replay games, which is true. And whenever I play a game through the first time, I always play the good path. I mean, unless there's some kind of obvious reason to play the evil path, which I don't think there generally is. I think developers most times want you to play through as the good person. Um, even in games where you are allegedly playing a villain or something like that, it's usually you're not really that evil. You're just like, you know, you're mean or you, I don't know, you beat up on your sidekick or something. But it's, it's pretty rare that you're like pretty evil in a game. So since I play most games only once, and since when I do play them, I play through as good when given the choice, I don't think I've ever played an evil path either. I don't think I have either. So Will, William Bean, sir, I'm feeling you on that one. I think uh, I think we are in the same boat. Uh, what's the next one, Corey? This one is from Travis Bolick, and Travis says... While problematic in general, I really enjoy Quantic Dream games. Also, Mass Effect 1 is the best Mass Effect. And I know why you chose this one, Brad, because you agree that Mass Effect 1 is the best Mass Effect. And I actually agree with his Quantic Dream statement. I love Quantic Dream games. I think they're great. And I think for a really long time, I could not get a game like Quantic Dream games uh, kind of up until the like telltale started pumping out like series after series after series of games that were like similar to heavy rain. Um, but still I prefer quantic dream style games over tell telltale games. Um, but I agree. I like quantic dream games a lot. I realize that they're not perfect and that, uh, David Cage is kind of pretentious, but I really like them. Uh, but I'm sorry to say that mass effect two is actually the best mass effect. Oh God. What? What? Yeah, it is. It is that is a, that is a wrong opinion. That is a <laughs> I know you're entitled to your opinion. That is a wrong opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that was basically why I picked this one. Um, I enjoy Quantic Dream games too. I don't like them overall, but I think they have they they generally all have a lot of strong moments. I think David Cage is really good at doing moments rather than doing like games overall, which is a problem when you're making a game. <laughs> but uh, each each one usually has a few really interesting sections or an interesting approach or something about them i don't i don't think he is trash i mean i know people like to bag on him and uh put him down and he's got his issues for sure i i (laughs) i think he's a problematic guy but in general i think he's got some some interesting things so i am with you travis i do enjoy quantum dream games on some level and i definitely agree that mass effect one is the best mass effect if i had to play only one that would be the one that i play i don't care about the inventory management or how slow the elevators were everything that one i feel like has the best (laughs) everything overall like everything is the story the characters the pacing everything that i really want from a game like that that is where it's at so i love mass effect one um next one comes from darren foreman writer at game critics good old darren foreman out in the bear infested wilds of scotland did you know he lives (laughs) in the mountains he's like naked just wearing like a loincloth killing bears when he's not writing Uh... reviews I knew he lived in Scotland, but I didn't know the details. Every time I email the guy, he's like fucking killing bears. He's like, oh, sorry, I didn't get back to you. I was killing bears in the woods. They must have a shitload of bears in Scotland. I don't know what's going on out there. Uh, And along those same lines, he says uh, Cabela's survival. And I believe he's talking about 
Shadows of Katmai, I'm pretty sure. Cabela's Shadows of Katmai Survival or Survival Shadows of Katmai, whatever, is better than any Uncharted game. So he's kind of throwing the gauntlet down. This is like our more stereotypical I didn't like this game type of confession, but I picked it because Uncharted is pretty fucking up there. I mean, it's it's you have to look pretty hard to find somebody willing to say something bad about an Uncharted game. And not only did he say something bad about Uncharted, but he's comparing it to a Cabela's game, which I'm sorry, who plays Cabela's? But you know what, though? He's absolutely <laughs> fucking right. Did you ever play uh, Shadows of Katmai from Cabela's? I have never played a Cabela's game before. Oh, my God. That game is an unappreciated masterpiece. I <laughs> I think multiple people played it and reviewed it at Game Critics the year that it came out because we were all so blown away by like how crazy it was and like how interesting it was. I mean, you're playing a hunter, uh, some kind of hunter. You crash land. I mean, it, it kind of follows the same uncharted um, path where you're like out in the woods and jumping and doing things. But I mean, it's just everything about it was just so bizarre. Like the story twists were really bizarre. The character was funny. Um, the things that you did in the game were just really just uh, way over the top and just really ridiculous. I mean, I had the best time with um, Shadows of Katmai. It's, it was almost like um, Mystery Science Theater of games or something where you knew like it was goofy the developers knew it was goofy. I mean, it was just impossible not to have a good time with that game. And I, I had way more uh, fun with Shadows of Katmai than I did with any of the Uncharted games. So I actually, I I agree with Darren 100% on this one. I think you should track down Cabela's Survival. <laughs> Is it uh, Xbox 360 or Xbox One? Uh, 360. It was back in the 360. Do you, have, do you still have a 360 uh, hooked up? Or I'm not sure if it's of backwards course. compatible. Okay, there you go. You're fine. It'll be, it'll cost you like 74 cents. It'll be like, <laughs> it'll be cheaper than the actual cost of the physical materials to make the disc. Nobody buys these games. Nobody, except for people at Game Critics, actually like this game. I thought this game was fucking brilliant. It was <laughs> so good and so choice. I just had the best time with it. So you should check it out. <laughs> I'll uh, have to look it up on Amazon and see, see what it looks like. Yeah. I mean, if, if nothing else, like Gamefly or something, it, it's totally like a weekender. You finish it in like two sittings and it's just like a really good time. So. <laughs> anyway, all right, bring it home, Corey. All right, well, that those are uh, there were a lot, a lot of responses, many, many more than we could read on air. Uh, but we don't have time to read them all here, or else our show would be like four hours long, and our show is sometimes long enough as it is. Uh, if you would like more deep, dark, and shameful confessions from real gamers, not, not those fake gamers, but the real ones, only the real uh, ones. <laughs> Uh, just like you, uh, you can search for the tag on Twitter uh, and check those out. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for sending them in, for helping Brad out, for entertaining him on his boring weekend day. I'm sure that he had a blast reading through them and culling them to uh, discuss on the show. Absolutely. Nothing I love better than culling from Twitter. That's my favorite thing to do. I love to cull. I'm a culler. I dig it. <laughs> It was it was very fun, and I was really happy to see so many people participating because I was really bored at that time, and I was like, "Oh my god, I need something to get me get me through the next hour." And it was really uh, multiple hours that people were contributing, so that was great. So thank you very much, everybody. Hopefully, you enjoyed it as much as I did, and hopefully, you enjoyed the show as much as I did because now we are at the end of it. As usual, I would like to remind you, dear listeners, that you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas. Anything else you would like to send it at? No, no, wait. I always fuck this up. Send it <laughs> to. There's no at. Don't do the at. Send it to so video games podcast 
at Gmail. So that's where the at goes. Not at the beginning, in the middle where it usually goes for an email address. I'm fucking this up so bad. Sorry. It's not like I haven't read this like 50 times. Or actually tw- <laughs> 25 times, I guess. But anyway, we are also on Twitter as a show, at SoVideoGames. That's where that at goes. And you can reach us individually. Corey, what is your Twitter handle, sir? I can be found on Twitter with my first and last name. My Twitter handle is Corey Motley. It is C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Right on. And I am also on Twitter very frequently. You can find me with my name, Brad Galloway, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. All A's, no O's. Not a single O in that name. (laughs) And with that, this is the actual true final end uh, no, no scenes after credits. No final form of the boss. This is the true end of So Video Games uh, episode fifty. But before we go, special apology to Joshua Jackson. I know that he <laughs> looks forward to these shows. He's like the the dude who downloads these first and listens to them before anybody else. We really appreciate Superfan Joshua Jackson. Um, it is very likely that this episode will be up a little bit later than normal, and I know that you are like the early bird. So very, very sorry. Joshua, Corey's going to do his best to get this up as soon as possible, uh, but there will be a little bit of a delay. And we know it, and we're sorry. But uh, (laughs) it's up now. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't be listening to it. So there you go. Uh, But we will be back next week with another installment. And in the meantime, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. 